Ladies and gentlemen, may I present for your intellectual and philosophical pleasure Run Fest on Raw Dog Serious XM Comedy Hits Channel 99 It's the Ron and Fez show on a Friday. Oh, that was some Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction last night. I didn't expect that to happen, did you? Wild, dude. A little bit of a shocker. It's everywhere. Did you get a chance to see Parks and Rec last night? (laughs) Very funny. And then Big Bang Theory was surprising. I did not expect Sheldon to have an anal wart that turned out to be cancerous. So, a lot happening. Dark turn for the show. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's light. It's a, it's a light show, usually. Now, did you see the Today Show program today? No, I didn't. Oh. I hope you're in real time, then. Shelby, good to see you today. How's everything going with you, all right? It's going pretty good. It's nice to see all of you, too. When- <laughs> what? <laughs> Gentlemen. What are you talking... Huh? <laughs> Oh. That was like middle ages gay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. gay now. Well, now I have Fez is in here, I gotta be gay. I gotta take the Do you gay see stick. yourself as uh, the future of gay? Yeah. Okay. You wanna work that D? You want Grinder yet? Because I downloaded it for Fez, I ain't going to download it for you. You're on your own. No, I'll download that. I got a smartphone. I got apps. I tried to get on that. I got on Grinder by mistake. You know? <laughs> I got on, I did download Grinder, but it was like one for those like pepper things that waiters come around. I, I, I love that you have a little joke, but why did you step on mine when I was about to do the punchline? I was doing the Grinder bit. I like your Grinder. By the way, I have one of those at home, too. Oh, yeah? I'm grinding my own pepper now. I have hobbies. Jesus. Do you have yeah. to have somebody else come in and use it and say, tell me when, or do you use it? And then, like, when do you know? How come you never tell them when? I don't want to tell you when. Um, I got to tell you something right now. This is not a live show. I know it. You know it. I know it. You know it. Don't say that. Let's give out the the prize yesterday for the first responders. The first responder winner for at Atel at Atel, Mr. David Tell's Twitter account. The winner is at Anne's Boudreaux. And Boudreaux with Enjoyed Your Time on the Run and Fez Show today. Hope you come back soon with more comics. I wish um, you hadn't read like that thing and just left it at that and we could have all thought she wrote something even better. You know what I mean? We thought she would have wrote something great. Uh, but thank you to the first responders. It makes a big deal for us. And good news for David Tell. If you go over to the iBang, David Tell has actually made filtered... Excellent. So that's fantastic. Anybody else want to guess what's on there this week? Because some of it comes up from guests. All right. Is it Mr. Paul Stanley's book, Face the Music? No, this is Filtered Excellence. (laughs) (laughs) Fargo has made 
filtered excellence. Selfridge has made uh, filtered excellence. Dirty Daddy has made filtered excellence. Um, through the Lens has made filtered excellence. Oh, hell yeah. Peter Simon's book. And Rufus Wainwright in New York City makes filf, uh, filtered excellence. All great stuff. You're going to get into that Fargo, right? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in on Fargo. Because I need people to discuss, you know, like, oh, shit, you seen Fargo last night. I'm not going to treat this thing like True Detective where I get caught up in lens and I don't even know what the hell happened at Dude, the end. Do you honestly know that you just said Jew detective? Oh. Now, is that a Jewish detective or one that, like, is hunting down Jews and finding out their crimes? That's awful. That would be a Nazi guy. It's a cheap detective. The Jews are the chosen people. Here's my favorite people in the world. Jews... Uh, blacks, lesbians, and gays. Oh, and um, kids that got like fucked up feet or water on their brain. <laughs> you know, that's I, the stuff that I like. I like the sensitive stuff. Love Flip. hydrocephalus. Yeah. Flipper babies? They on that? That's called Familda Hyatt. And uh, no, they don't exist anymore. There's got to be at least one out there that survived. There's <laughs> one doctor still using it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they were getting it from bad tuna. Shit, I love tuna too fish. Too much, too bad tuna. This is too bad tuna. Um, coming up a little bit, if you're a fan of Bruce Springsteen and the East Street Band, a great guitarist who plays with Bruce Springsteen, Nils Lofgren is going to be here. Nils Lofgren. Because that's how we roll. Like ballers. We are like ballers, aren't we? Yeah, we make it rain, we ball out of control, Right, and we hang out with rock stars. That's all things ballers do. I like it when I'm partying with rock stars, and then I'll yell, "Hey, we're partying like rock stars." <laughs> Don't acknowledge it. <laughs> oh, is that ruining it for everybody? Is a song playing party like a rock star? I don't know because I don't like to hear music when I'm with rock stars. <laughs> why, why not? Though you're with a rock star. I know. I'd rather just talk or play. You know, like Pollard games. Damn it. Who's the biggest rock star you ever met in your life? Maybe Ronnie Wood when he came in. That's a pretty mm. giant rock star. Mm. What about for you, Toby? Mm, probably John Densmore. Mm. Both of you guys met them through me. That's right. You're welcome. I owe you big time. You know, uh, one of the original guys from the 50s saw me... When I was a baby, I was with my my mom was carrying me around, and came over and said, "That's a beautiful baby." Oh, nice! And that was Mister Rock Around the Clock, Bill Haley, without his comments. There were no comments, and he said, "That's a beautiful baby," and my mom said, "Back off." That's smart. Get out of here. Yeah, we don't like it when people walk up on our babies. But even though I was just a baby, I felt like I could have defended myself if he tried to start any rock star shit. I mean, who would do that, though? You know, like, go, I, I, I would never think you of... You realize that you just said who would do that? Again? Yeah. I got Jews on the brain. Who would go up to a baby and say, that's a beautiful baby? It was a stranger that. baby. One time I actually went up to a baby and said to the mother, look, my penis is bigger than that baby. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. And let me just point this out. That was a nine-pound baby. I don't believe you, sir. <laughs> Step into this alley with me. Will you play the part of a woman with that <laughs> yeah. scary deep voice? <laughs> what, what women do you know? I don't believe you, sir. 
Let me see your dick, dude. Take this farthing and go into town with it and buy the biggest goose you can. <laughs> you do a lot of characters. Yeah. You got a new character for the game show. Well, not game show. It's kind of just the piece that you've put up on the iBang. And what do you call this, by the way? This is the Disappearing Comedy Girlfriends. Disappearing Comedy Girlfriends. And you're going to have one of your new characters kind of introduce it for us, right? Yeah. She was a young, beautiful actress trying to make it to the top. But as soon as the dame landed her first role... She was never heard from again. It's as if she... disappeared. Well, there was no wit or form to that. Instead of a beat, a, a play on words, it was just disappeared. If you could use that speaking voice that you just used there, right? Yes. Why don't you speak with that all the time? <laughs> Why do you use this weak fucking dead fish voice? Well, I should have gone into it like that, but now everybody knows that this is my real voice. So... But you can't... He just went like this. Everyone knows that this is my real voice. It gets worse and worse. And I could come in here tomorrow, <laughs> Monday, and say, hey, like... And do that voice, then everybody calling up. What the fuck is he doing? Why Let me just anybody... hear you do it now. I could come in with this voice. Just use it all the That's time. That's awesome. All right. Use it. We've got some great comics coming in today. <laughs> I can't speak for anyone else. I got wood. I got wood from that voice. It's filling up. I do too, God, but it's, it's disgusting. Uh, it's a medical condition. <laughs> Hard-ons are a medical condition? very painful, and they don't, they don't go away. Wait, that's what you were talking about? I, I meant, like, I got wood for the stove. Oh. <laughs> you I just was... made this gay town. <laughs> this, is, this is pretty gay. Speaking of pretty gay, yeah. still no pay after the Fez Watley thing. Where is Fez Watley? Will like he, he ever be seen again? Or did he disappear? That fucking thing had no wit to it at all. You the, you just yelled disappear as if that was a swerve, but it wasn't. Disappeared. All right, disappeared. so you're saying that these young ladies get to star in comedy films and then they're never seen again. You do not see them in any starring roles. They just, okay, this wow, this lady's cute. She's great in this little role. And then you never, they don't have starring roles, maybe some small TV roles. I, I, I think I can play out. this with you because I know two right off the bat. I'm going to go with the first one. In Caddyshack, I never remember seeing the Irish girl again. The Irish girl, and by the way, I don't know why they had that character. Oh, I don't know what you think you're going to be doing. That weirded me out watching when I first watched that movie. You're trying to get into my large panties. <laughs> and then she knocks her up almost. Yeah. So odd. Right. Well, she didn't have to be from fucking Belfast. <laughs> the hell, what was going on? Did you ever watch what she's credited as? No. Mooch's sister. That's <laughs> all it says there. Well, that was uh, actually Sarah Holcomb, and she was actually in uh, Animal House. Before that, like she was having a great oh, career. I remember she was the girl who showed her tits. Yeah, who had her stuffed bra? Was she at the? Now, so she never was Irish. She just played Irish. Yeah. What? Why did they decide that? <laughs> I'm totally weirded out because I didn't know that was the same girl. 
It was like that's a great start to a career. It's Animal House, Caddyshack, two like iconic, some of the best comedies ever made. They should immediately made her the mom in Vacation. <laughs> but after that, that was her last film, and she never started any. And people were like, "Where the hell is this girl?" And then one of the co-writers of Caddyshack in an interview said, "Like after that, she started running with a bad crowd, got into some drugs." She yeah, ended up in some business. Like, weird house. Really that's not sad. our business. This is a sad segment now. I know. Well, I hate this segment. I don't know why he had revealed that in an interview. <laughs> it seems like she just disappeared. All right, I got another Disappeared. One. Because I've always been curious about this girl. Uh, the, And I mean, she like, had a nice, regular look about her. Like, not a model. Just a nice, regular girl. And that was the girl... Who was the love interest in Meatballs? Oh. I would have guessed that she was a Canadian because it seemed like it was a Canadian film. Unfortunately, she was Canadian. And did she get a chance to work again? She, again, had some really small roles after that. Like, she won a Genie Award even for that role, which was like the Canadian Oscars. I am very familiar with what the Genie Award is. It was actually won by Molly's father for saxophoning. <laughs> Didn't he get it? No, he got a Juno award <laughs> for being in the movie Juno. <laughs> yeah, he got knocked up. But yeah, even sh after she won that award, she was saying, "I only won this because I'm Canadian." Like you were just <laughs> proud that the Canadian actually did something. Yeah, but that's—they're all Canadians running for it. It's like the best can Canada actors, like a BAFTA, but in Canada. It's you know, there's plenty. Kaftra. It's like a Kaftra award. There's plenty of great people in Canada, Shelby. I don't know why I have to fucking attack them. All right, Hicks, can you come up with one of these? How? All right. What about Happy Gilmore's a girlfriend? The girl that the lawyer on the PGA tour. I always thought she was really cute, and she was his girlfriend throughout it. She got him the the cash to save his mom's house, his grandmother's house, and she was hot too. Did, is she on the? I bet. She's not. That would be Julie Bowen. She's actually won two Emmys in Modern Family. And You're I, so fucking stupid, Chris. I, how am I stupid? I, I don't but watch I'm Modern go Family. Billy Madison. What about that girl? It was like Veronica Vaughn. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what's her name? Bridget Wilson. She is she one is. piece of hot ace. <laughs> yeah. Is she in anything else? She should have because she was like only 22, 24 when she landed that role. Plenty of years left in her career but she had like some small TV roles and ended up just uh, marrying up Pete Sampras oh smart <laughs> move damn she that's did well that's a smart move that's like his, fucking marrying a bank she's gonna polish these Wimbledon trophies why bother going on auditions oh I agree 100% I wouldn't go out everyone has a price good for Pete Sampras too yeah because he's with one hot piece of ace. He knows from experience, dude. <laughs> no, you don't. And I even thought, <laughs> I was like researching Julie Bowen thinking, oh yeah, she disappeared for 15 years, but she was on that show, Ed, for like a couple years and on Boston Legal. Like, how did I not know that she did anything? I know, that happens to me too, though. Slipping to the Like, background. I didn't even know that, like, the thing that you told me today, the Animal House and Meatballs girl... Or, or, um, or not meatballs. Okay, sure. Caddyshack are the same girl. I'm freaked out by that. And now I picture both their faces and they're the same. But she wasn't Irish. There was no reason to do the Irish brogue. She was just that a was chick. terrible <laughs> directing. 
I hate to say because he's dead, but terrible directing. When I, when I watched Caddyshack, I was like, why is this Irish person on this fucking golf course? This doesn't make any sense. This is she was also very unappealing. Like, her personality was like, this is not a long-term girl for you. She's a bitch. Go on with Lacey Underall. Come on. We never saw Lacey again. I think I... I think All right, I can you do another one, Chris? Because I'm kind of locked up here. I keep thinking L.A. Story, Annie Hall. I know what happened to All them. All right. Um, the girlfriend from old school. The girl that the Wilson brother was. She's really her. cute, too. Yeah. I don't remember seeing her in anything else. You got her on your list. You, you shouldn't know her because she's been starring in Grey's Anatomy for like the past 30 years. Is that right? Oh, Jesus. No film roles. But, you know, she's rocking it as a okay, doctor. Okay, so she's big. She's, oh, you know, she's making 50, 60 Gs yeah. a week. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> she's rocking that hospital was, where everything bad off. happens. But she is adorable, too. I agree with you on that. She should be doing movies. All right, Fuck give us now. one then, Shelby. We're getting fucking stumped over here. You may remember Colleen Haskell. She was on the first season of Survivor. Yeah, I do know her. She started it. She, like said, okay, now I'm not on an island anymore. I'll uh, star in a Rob Schneider film, The Animal. Where did the voice go, Shelby? Bring the voice back. She starred in the Rob Schneider film, The Animal. Like Coming this summer. I like that a lot, seriously. I could get some VO work for you, my friend. So, yeah, I remember when she got hired for that. Well, I it's, completely forgot that she was on Survivor. But let's see what she looks like now, because I haven't seen her in a while. You can't find out because she hasn't done anything in like 10 years. She's disappeared. Nobody knows where she is. After that, she had like a TV producing ro job, not even like a small role on something. And then she said, I don't want to do, I don't want to be in Hollywood anymore. She even turned down like when that show was really hot and she was at her peak. Hugh Hefner offered her a hundred grand or something to post for Playboy. She said, nope. And that was kind of back when, if you did do that, people would be like, oh my god, so scandalous. But now you... You're crazy. It was like 2002 or something. Yeah, but then they'd be like, oh yeah, she's like... We already had sex tapes out. Yeah, but now... It was a jack fest. The internet was around. Now they get on you if you don't... <laughs> Look, dude, I fucking masturbated to her on Survivor. It wasn't a big deal. You just said it was a jack fest. <laughs> yeah. Look, 2002, and fucking everyone's getting brought the internet, fucking porn starts streaming, you and would, everyone's gonna just lose it. You were, jerking off, you were jerking off to Richard Hatch. Not wake, oh, naked walking no, off the street. That's straight. That's straight. You know, you're lucky Fez isn't here. He'd have his feelings hurt. Yeah, he'd pull a knife uh, on you. Actually, we're all lucky Fez isn't here. Well, I hope there's no payoff to this. It just drags on like this forever. Um. All right, let's um, let's go on and find another one. What about the lovely Sloan, Mia Sarah from Ferris Bueller's Day Off? I love Sloan, and hey, she was in another favorite picture of ours. I'm going to give you this: there was a cop who traveled through time. Oh, she was the husband. No, she was the, the wife of time yeah, the husband. husband. <laughs> Her husband was time was cop. A, it was a jack fest. <laughs> <laughs> America was jacked in every which direction. Internet was new and exciting. <laughs> Thumbnails were blown up. I love Sloan. She should have been like she's like not even like oh she's the like hot girlfriend, but she's like a cool chick you'd want to hang out with. You'd think she'd be in a lot I more. I will things. tell you right now. To me, I would pick Sloan in her prime. Over um, this new girl that everybody loves right now, the 
American fucking whatever the Gay she, Lawrence. Jennifer what's her Lawrence. Name? Yeah, Jennifer Lawrence. I'd pick Sloan. Give me Mila Kunis. No, <laughs> I'll throw that. <laughs> don't throw that in the conversation. That has nothing to do with it. She's showing Jim Beam right now. I just saw a commercial She's doing last movies. night. She's marrying. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't belong in this story at all. I just said Sloan was great. <laughs> Give me early two thousands Pam Anderson. That's for me. Well you like fuck this. everything. I got to go with Sergeant Pepper's. That's a fucking great album. <laughs> And the 27 Yankees. I mean, that was a murderous fucking crew. Wait, Wait. we're not just saying things we like, right? <laughs> oh, it's steak and lobster. Mm, surf and turf. Vacation. Uh, I got another girlfriend. A disappearing that? girlfriend. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite. The little girl with the side braid. Oh. I think she even knew. Hey, That whole fucking movie disappeared, right? Nobody saw it again. That was a movie that I started hating long before anyone else. They had an animated series like a year ago. They really? put that on Fox. Like, oh, this has been uh, 10 years. This I loved the, all the people that used the quote. It got around to saying that they hated it. And you know what I hate most? They stole that fucking name. That's the name that Elvis Costello used to appear under, like when he would go and do club dates. Right. And they just fucking took it. I blame Uncle Rico. And that one, the guy that directed it, he just said, I'll kind of make all my films look like this. Just have, like, shitty drawings. This is a gay film But you sound like you were doing a Scotsman's voice there for a second. The sim gay here. (laughs) That's Australia. All right, give me another one. Give me one that matters, too. Not, like, shitty stuff that Hicks was doing. What? What about, uh... Patricia Wedding from City Slickers. Let me see a picture of her because I don't even remember her. I thought they were all gay in that movie. <laughs> Mostly they were, but let's not put gays down because Fez has been through a lot. When she was the wife? Yeah. She wasn't even in a fucking movie. She drove him to the airport and then picked him up at the airport. She wasn't even slicking <laughs> during this thing. She was, just, she was just in the city fucking having a great time. She was. That would be called... Oh, I have a great time because my husband's away. <laughs> my Jew husband's away. All right. I fucking hate. Look, you know, I already fucking dropped a couple of Jews in here today. I can say that. I'm half Jewish. Oh, okay. Oh. That makes it easy. I'll just say Jew. Who's a Jew? Your mom or dad? My mom. Full okay, Jew. then you're full Jew. Like Nat Menorah. Yeah, you're. You, All if, day. If, if, the Jews only go by what your mother is. So that's great for you. I'm full but a Jew. I need to take that pilgrimage. Uh, I could give you a Jewish uh, thing in Fargo. Yeah. Do you want to hear it? Yeah. You want to hear a spoiler alert? I want to hear it. All right, spoiler alert from the new Fargo TV series. We'll start in seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Spoiler alert. So there's the scene, uh, I think it's in the second uh, episode, where Colin um, Hanks... His apartment looks right over at these, I guess, Hasidic Jews, and you're not allowed to, they don't show their hair. Yeah. So she actually, like, takes her wig off with her hair underneath it, and he gets to see, and then she just starts to take off her clothes, and she's just, like, staring at him straight across. And the next time he sees her, she's, like, giving food to her whole Hasidic family. That's weird. It's a weird TV show, and you're going to love it. I can't wait to see it. All right, let all the spoiler people come back in. All right, dicks. Guys, come on, back in. 
Every time I see a Hasidic Jew in the city, I want to just call my mom. Say like, hey, look, we're doing it. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? That's so sad that you talk that way. It's awful. You've ruined today, which I would have considered the best stuff. And now I'm with you, I have to... You know why I sit around and I give new uh, programming to my listeners even on the day that we're off? You care. Love. Shelby can't feel love. Big L. The special sauce. That special ingredient that makes life worth living. Dude love. juice. Love. How are we doing on time? Because I know we got Nils coming in. Yeah, Nils is... Just say it to me. 25 don't. minutes in. Well, tell me when you want to go to Nils. Okay. I'm at now. Tell me when you want to go to Nils. Five minutes. Okay. Uh, you got a couple more of these. These are all up on the iBang, uh, by the way, as well as Filtered Excellence, um, which is some really cool stuff, including the David Tell Show. And I want you to kind of retweet this or pass it along to uh, something that Dave is pushing. Donate to Operation Purple at militaryfamily.org. That's Operation Purple at militaryfamily.org. I want to make sure I say that every day while he's trying to do this. Go ahead, uh, Shelbo. About Haviland Morris. Remember her from 16 Candles, the uh, hot red-headed girlfriend? Actually, it was more blonde then. Yeah, the red-headed girl was Molly Ringwald. She was the girl that got her hair cut. Okay, what was she in? Nothing so, really after that. A lot of, again, small TV roles. Why don't these girls blow up more? Well, see, in her case, you know, to me, that was Molly Ringwald was the girlfriend, and she was Doucheboat, like a female version of Doucheboat. And she blew up, I mean, you know, for good reason. Who, Molly? Yeah. What was I watching again the other night that I thought she was just adorable in? I can't think of it. But when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, oh, I guess it was the end of the 16 Candles. The scene where she was sitting there on the table with her. Mm -hmm. And I was like so glad that she got the good looking boy. I'm like, (laughs) oh, man, this has worked out so good. Because her fucking sister's with an oily bohunk. But she went out and did something. She was with a nice lantern jawed white kid. Didn't end up so great for Havlin Morris. But I would have considered that lantern-jawed white kid to be the girlfriend of this. He's the disappearing girlfriend. Because he's the one everybody fell for. And now he's like making furniture or something in PA. Weird. I saw him on one of those, like, where are they now? It was one time. I used to have another one. A girl I thought was going to blow up that I loved. I remember, ever see Pump Up the Volume with Christian yes, Slater? Yes, I did. That girlfriend in that, in that one, she was like the weird girl. Yeah. And she was like, almost goth, but not really, but she dressed right. weird. It's Hollywood makeup goth. You yeah. Know what I mean, like pretend goth. Never saw her in anything else ever again. Coming up in just a couple of moments, great Nils Lofgren. Um, spectacular, spectacular uh, guitar player, musician, songwriter, just really one of the all time best. This piece that was done, Dave Marsh actually wrote the liner notes. So you know it's great when Dave Marsh is involved. This is some serious shit. Yeah, he only... And I would love to write liner notes. That would be my dream thing in life. I'd rather write liner notes about how good the album is rather than making an album. (laughs) And I'm 100% serious about that. I'll play a little bit. Oh, you got another one for me? Last one. Julia Montgomery, the really hot blonde of uh, the bad guy in Revenge of the Nerds. Some of these you're stretching at. 
Bullshit. All she did was star in more Adventure the Nerds movies. All? I wish I did. I wish I had... F uh, here's my career. I wish I did five Revenge of the Nerds movies and then wrote the liner notes for Houses of the Holy. I know I already know what uh, my liner notes would be. What's that? Prepare to have your balls blown off. Because this fucking rock just got <laughs> sent to you straight from Federal Express. <laughs> and you get that sweet carrying money if you're in all the uh, Revenge of the Nerds. Let's try to guess what he said there. You can get that... I heard you can get that sweet Carradine money. What did you say, Chris? You get all that sweet Carradine money. Why would you say that? Because he was in Revenge of the Nerds. Why would you get his money? <laughs> because you're in Revenge of the Nerds. I'm guessing if you're in all of them, you're getting Revenge of the Nerds money. <laughs> I could be in, what, Men in Black? I'm not getting Will Smith money. You should try. Right. How's this kid smarter than you? This kid's not smarter oh, than I me. Oh, I just had a bit roller paying me like a million dollars in residuals. This is crazy. Sick. See if everybody that was in the Godfather movies got that Marlon Brando money. <laughs> Here's the thing. I thought what he said is so nutty it can't be true. Yeah. So what does he mean? And I actually you I, I understood you. You were just basically slurring with your brain instead of your mouth. There's a lot of slurring going on. God bless you, Centaur. I'm a human, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to call me dude. <laughs> God, don't you miss Fezzy? It's been so long. Let's call him at home. And by home, I mean under Shelby's balls. Yeah. I haven't hey, even Fez. heard back from him. Monday should be, as they say, the payoff, one way or the other. I hate the way listeners are like blaming it on me. Like, I have something to do with this. What would you have done? I mean, you weren't in those meetings with him. I don't think they realize that I'm not running everything. I'm not some fucking master. Master. Master of puppets. Fuck, I wish I wrote uh, Metallica liner notes. I already, I already know what I would write for Metallica. Today. What's that? Prepare to have your balls blown off. Again? I mean... Yeah. That's going to be my signature bit. I don't think anyone reads liner notes anyway. I don't even know what that is. Oh my you god. Fucking <laughs> piece of shit. This is it coming back. <laughs> this is, I feel like my balls are about to be blown off. Uh, we gotta go to Nils Lafka now, Chris. Okay, I'll turn this. Are you a big fan of the East Street Band? I'm a fan of the East Street Band. Are you a big fan of Neil Young's? I love Neil Young. You ever hear the On the Beach album? Oh, yeah. It's great. Nils played on that. You ever hear After the Gold Rush? Oh, yeah. Nils played on that. And I believe when he was like 18 years old. And then, of course, his own solo work, uh, playing with Crazy Horse. Uh, and then the E Street Band for, believe it or not, 30 years. And he's still, I always think of him as the new guy. And 30 years he's been with the E Street Band. That's fucking phenomenal. So, all right, his life is going playing with Neil Young on ridiculous records and then going to play with Bruce. And his own years? solo work, which is excellent. He did that, um, I think he did a song called Don't Die Keith, which was like to Keith Richards when he thought he was going to OD. And then also on this album, he does this uh, farewell song to the big man, to Clarence Clemens, that I got news for you, I couldn't finish it. 
Oh my god! I couldn't finish it. Uh, so so cool uh, to have uh, Nils in here. Uh, the new album is a retrospective of like ten different albums throughout his life. Um, and DVD. Well, a DVD which shows um, Neil on some of it. Neil coming in to play with him as well. But go to check out his website, uh, which is nilslafgren.com. nilslafgren.com. Face the Music is the name of it. Ten discs from all over his lifetime. Really an unbelievable, excellent guitar player. What a thrill to have him here today. Mr. Nils Lafgren.
Nils Lofgren is in stu- studio with us. Face the Music is out, a 45-year car- 45 career retrospective, 10-disc limited edition box set, out Tuesday, May 27th. You can uh, get that on Amazon on a pre-order or go to NilsLofgren.com. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Ron. How are you? You know... Uh, you look back at the 45 years you put together 10 discs. This is, I can't believe it. It's a lifetime's worth of work. I still can't believe it. It's been 16 months of work uh-huh. with a company that originally approached me with the idea, mm-hmm. uh, which I was grateful for, but suspicious of, of course. Yeah. And, um, long story short, I handpicked every track, 189 tracks. And I said early on, if we can't get all the good stuff from the old companies, because it's strange, Ron, I used to call the old companies and say, it's a standard story. Right. If you don't have hit records, I'm not unique. But like, okay, my music's out of print. Uh, you say I owe you tons of money. Costs a buck and a quarter to make a CD. Let me give you $5 a CD and, and buy a couple thousand of, so you can make some of the money back I owe mm-hmm. you. And I can have some of my product to share because people want it and it's not unavailable. And they always said no. And I was furious and kind of disheartened about it. So, and I accepted that's the way it is. Cause I, you know, I talked to lawyer, lawyers about right to work clauses and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Wah, wah, big deal. That's just the way it is in the music business. So to have a company go back and get the rights to every track I wanted to share and put a 10 disc thing together, that's a very, a lot of, there's 40 bonus tracks, obscure tracks. I go back to when I was 16 in a basement singing a song and some very mm-hmm. early stuff that even prior to Grin, my first recording band, it's just a beautiful uh, thing, and, and uh, they let me know right away, which was strange from a record company. Yeah. Like, every final decision is yours. And it was like, really? And it was quite extraordinary. It's been a lot of work and well worth it. And uh, it's funny, my wife Amy, who helped, you know, she's got great taste, and Omar assistant helped organize the package with their art directors. But it took over our whole life and our whole home for 15 months. And now I see why, because it's ready to go. And I'm very happy about well, it. How much, how many things surprised you? How many things did you go back and go, I don't even remember doing this? Well, you know, you tend to be so in the moment or forward thinking. I do. Mm-hmm. And to a fault. I didn't save old photographs. I didn't save old posters. I regret that. But that's just me. And an old buddy of mine, Steve Smolin, who's a record collector, um, he saved all of it. He had a great archive that we pulled from for the book. Got Dave Marsh to help me write the story, who uh, insisted I write it, and he edited it. Mm -hmm. Did a beautiful forward. But really the music, to, to really delve into it and go through like hundreds of basement tapes and demos and outtracks and reevaluate and realize, man, I, I could fill up two CDs with this stuff and be proud of it. That was a real eye-opener for me. And uh, a lot of unfinished old tapes that we went and finished in the spirit of Grin or early days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to have it be a cohesive thing and a great mastering engineer to put five decades of music all together and make it sound right. Just an extraordinary adventure, and I'm proud to be able to share it. Well, when you hear some of these songs from the early days, does it come back to you? Do you remember recording it, playing it live, writing it? Where, where do the memories kick in for you? You know, with this? for some reason, thankfully, I have vivid memories of a lot of it, uh-huh. especially the early days. I'm still... Because we were, my band Grin struck out in New York City. I was mm. 17. I just hit the road. We were going to L.A., look for a record deal. I snuck backstage all the time and asked for advice. Some people gave me some. Some people were too busy. Respectfully understood that. And, you know, 
Luckily, at the cellar door, Neil Young handed me his guitar, said, sing a song, sing another. I wound up singing five or six tracks from the first Grin album, two mm -hmm. years before it was made. And he said, hey, when you get to L.A., look me up. And he bought me a cheeseburger and a Coke because I was underage. And watched four great crazy horse shows over two days, hung out with Neil. He called me from the road. You know, he really was like... Hey, here's a kid that's struggling. He's got a bad record deal in New York he's trying to get out of. He's going to L.A., trying to, you know, make it in the music business. And I at least was honest about not knowing anything. Right. And uh, it, it was extraordinary because it led to being mentored by Neil and David Briggs, who went on to produce four Grin records. And as we were finding our way as a band called Grin, it led to the After the Gold Rush project with Neil, the Tonight's Tonight project. In between those was the Crazy Horse album with Jack Nitsche and I joining the band and Danny Witten, which sadly is the only definitive Crazy Horse record because Danny Witten died on us, yeah. which led to kind of the Wake record, Tonight's Tonight, with Bruce Barry and you know, Danny passing away. So it's just been a crazy, beautiful ride. And to get to kind of stroll down that memory lane, but actually put it together and share it. Sure. As a cohesive you were, thing. I mean, to, to look back on this now and see what a kid you were when you met Neil Young. You, How old were you when you played on the After the Gold Rush? Well, I was 17 when I met Neil that night. And uh, three weeks later, I was in L.A. and I looked him up. And long story short, I wound up <clears throat> hitchhiking out to Topanga every day from like Normandy or Laurel Canyon. We uh -huh. rented houses. And finally, David Briggs said, why are you hitchhiking out here every day? It's like an hour and a half. Why don't you just move in? I got a guest room, which I did. So David was Neil's best friend and producer. So I saw a lot of both of them. And Neil would jam with my band Grin at the Corral. And there was a history there. So a year later... Uh, as daunting as it was when, as an 18-year-old kid, Neil Young calls and says, I want you to do this project after the Gold Rush as part of the core band. <laughs> At least I not only said yes, but it's funny because I was so serious and I wasn't a professional pianist, so I told him that. I said, guys, I'm sorry, but they said guitar, sing, and piano. <laughs> and I'm like, what's up with the piano? <laughs> <laughs> and they said, well... You've been playing classical accordion since you were five. Said so that's true. You've won contests. That's true. We just need some simple parts. You'll figure it out. And I was like, really? And it was wild. You know, they had more faith in me than I did. And sure enough, I don't know how premeditated it was, but if you listen after the Gold Rush, you got Greg Rees with that Jamie Jamerson kind of busy bass underneath, very mm -hmm. colorful, but in the pocket, but creative. Neil on top with the beautiful melodies, and Ralphie and I are in the middle with the simple drums and piano, very simple and solid. And at my most creative, like hours and hours practicing, I never came up with busy parts. Right. Because it was a new instrument to me. And I don't know how much forethought went into it on David and Neil's part, but hey, it worked out, and I was grateful. It's almost the saddest tone ever. There's something about the, the way that piano on that thing that is just heartbreaking, and I, I've always been curious about it. Because well, like there's a, there's a uh, an intense kind of will mixed with a fragility, right? And uncertainty, <laughs> but this, you know euphoria of emotion to be yeah. thrust into an environment like that and really wanting to like you know pull my weight it sounds like youth too though doesn't it sounds like that heartbreaking youth yeah that we all go through and, and even for neil you yeah. know he was going through as talented as he was 
Buffalo Springfield breaking up. Yeah. Starting a solo career, but then trying to like take advantage of the Crosby Stills Nash Young supergroup that started occurring. And a lot of changes for him too, personally yeah. and musically. And it just married together to be a beautiful record. It's funny, Rolling Stone, a few months ago, my wife Amy showed me an article they posted of one of their early reviews trashing the record. Right. Saying it just sucked. That's amazing. And they printed the review as a tongue-in-cheek pork pokers and fun at themselves. Like, yeah, this is what we thought. <laughs> yeah. And that's the uh, that's the thing about the rock and roll life. It's so chaotic, too. Like, most of the time, fans sit back and think, oh, what a great ride. But when you're, you know, when you're the guy surfing the wave... It's it's crazy. Well, and it's a great ride, but like anything, there's ups and downs. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's funny, Amy calls it a champagne problem because now I'm homesick. I got four dogs. I got a great wife. And right. she's like, How lucky are you to have a home you miss? Yeah. There's some truth to that. But after 45 years on the road, when you pull out the suitcase and the dogs give you dirty looks, <laughs> one of them, Rain, our pack leader, who's kind of a ghetto girl, you know, pit bull, ridgeback mix, she goes and curls up and just gives me the cold shoulder like she's got the blues and it's touching but it's like man i'm still leaving home yeah and there's no end in sight but what happens is when i get out there uh, even though it's a nice room like when you're a kid mm -hmm. every airport terminal every motel room door right. wow can't wait to see what's on the other side but after 10 15 years it wears out after 45 i get out there and i'm like man what am i here for i'm here for the show and when i wake yeah. up on a show day I've never been more excited or grateful for that opportunity. And selfishly, I want to prepare all through the day, which, not to spoil the myth, but when you're 62 with some injuries and two friggin' metal hips, you go to the gym, you do this, you mm -hmm. do that. You try to get it all firing on all the cylinders you got left. <laughs> so when you walk out there, you can make the most of it. Sure. And people say, why do you play so long? I mean... And like, is that hard? And I say, hard? I mean, what would be hard is playing 90 minutes and being back alone in the room, talking yeah. to my family, seeing a picture of the dog I can't pet. <laughs> I mean, you miss your home. So I'm like, no, man, I'm exhausted, admittedly, and exhilarated, but let's play as long as Bruce will go for, because sure. that's what I'm there for. Well, when you think of how many of your peers don't get to do this anymore, and how many... uh get to do it on the level that you're doing with the East Street Band. I mean, it's it's 1% of 1%, you know. It's a very small amount of people who, when they're in their 60s, still go out and get to do the big stadium shows. Yeah, and, and to do them and do roaring improv shows with crazy, pouring sweat, three-and-a-half-hour concerts, that just doesn't happen. And I'm very blessed and grateful. And it's interesting because I played sports my whole life, football and basketball in particular, uh -huh. and really hurt myself. But I love sports. And I used to do um, 10 years of uh, original rock and roll instrumentals for John Madden, the all Madden team. Sure. And I actually got a CD. There's some tracks on the box set where John put some Maddenisms inside yeah. the music, which is great. But John came to see Bruce once in Chicago. Uh, he was on the road doing football games, and me and my wife had lunch with him. And I had to go to a sound check. And halfway through lunch, John said, you know, Nils, I'm kind of beat up, and I don't like big crowds much, so I'm going to skip the show. And I said, okay, John, whatever. And Amy's like, no, you're not. And then I left. Sure enough, she drags John to the show. He loved it. Because, you know, Bruce is the all-Madden singer. Sure. And, you know, blood and guts and whatever <laughs> it takes. And John went in to see Bruce before the show. And it's funny, I remember he came out and he said, you know, I felt like I was visiting a Hall of Fame quarterback on the eve of a Super Bowl. Yeah. And it was interesting. That was John Madden's take on Bruce before his show. And it just reminded me, you know, with the band, I feel like with Bruce, 
every night you're doing a Super Bowl importance right. of the show is for a hometown crowd, and I feel like you know I'm guaranteed a victory. I'm just working on the point spread, mm-hmm. and I really sympathize with athletes because every night somebody has to lose, right? No matter how hard you try, and so I feel really blessed. Back to your point, not only to be 62, 45 years in playing these this caliber of shows with this caliber band, but the realization that you know, yeah, all the stuff that goes with it, and being away from home and injuries, blah blah blah. But at the end of the day, man, if I just take care of myself and show up prepared, it's a win-win. And that's very rare to have that at any age, sure, in any job. Yeah, any job. And, you know, if you look at what the E Street uh, tours are like now, they're probably more daring than they were 30 years ago. You guys are doing songs off the top of your head. And when you look at so many of the like classic rock bands who go out and play 12 hits back I would honestly say to go to these shows, you don't know what you're going to say most of the time. No, and the beauty of it is Bruce doesn't know what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And he just feeds off the crowd of the, the energy of the crowd. Right. And when we get a set list, I know we're not going to follow it. And it's not really a map of songs. To me, it's just an overview of, okay, what's the singer thinking? Mm-hmm walking out knowing it's all going to change but at least it gives me a basic read and there might be a song or two that i forgot so you go study up on it that kind of thing and even i mean it's funny last night walking to the stage he changed the show changed the three opening numbers <laughs> walking to the stage and of course i'm yelling at someone tell the tech <laughs> tell the poor text because these poor guys got to hand his instruments yeah and it's a beautiful you know very powerful emotional thing to improv all night long and even solos you know he'll play a solo for 40 nights and as he's going to hit his first tone he points at me <laughs> and i'm like you know i used to walk away and yeah. like play with max going well bruce is going to play the solo but too many nights i don't hear him playing i turn around and he's looking at me like where were you <laughs> I said, what do you mean, where was I? I? said, I pointed at you. Yeah. I said, oh, okay. Better watch. Better, yeah, you're not going to be daydreaming. No, that doesn't happen too much anymore. Yeah. Of Face the Music, a 45-year retrospective. It's 10 discs, limited edition box set, out Tuesday, May 27th. You go to NillsLofgren.com or pre-order on Amazon.com. And uh, what is amazing about this is I've never seen an artist kind of curate his own work the way you have. Everything you've picked out, you're doing signings on this stuff. Yeah, every uh, every record, there's a 2,500 limited edition we've, we're going to print up. And I personally numbered and signed this cool little 5x8 car with this uh, flip sketch that I had made for one of my records. And um, I was really shocked and grateful because I was a little hesitant, like, well, a box set. I mean, most of my music's out of print. What's mm-hmm. this going to be like? I don't really want to do it unless it can be great. And sure enough, early on, the company made it clear we don't either. And they stuck to their guns. Every major decision, every minor decision, which got a bit maddening, but but exciting, they deferred to me. And they had good ideas, they had mm-hmm. opinions about songs, they might disagree, but they always deferred to me. Uh, the art directors were great, but they involved my wife and I constantly because she's got great taste and, and our assistant Omar, and we kind of designed the booklet. And just from start to finish, every song I wanted, they went and got the rights to. And it's really a difficult thing to do, and 189 tracks total. They got the rights to everything. It's really a, a, a truly uh, honest uh 
thorough retrospective of 45 years recording and even some earlier tracks before I started professionally. Did you know at a certain age this is I'm not getting off this path, I'm staying on the rock and roll path? And yeah, you know, uh, music was a great hobby for mm -hmm. a couple of years. I was a classical accordion player played, playing Beatles songs in the ninth grade variety show. Brother Tommy started playing a little guitar. I did it for fun for two years. In the mid-60s, nobody thought you could be Jimi Hendrix or the Beatles. I mean, right. you, you loved them, but that wasn't a job in middle America. And one night in 67, I went to see The Who, Constitution Hall, and we rushed over and sort of Pete Townsend to a late show of Jimi Hendrix Experience at wow. the Ambassador Theater. And that night, watching Jimi, I was possessed with this startling notion, like, you got to leave school now and become a professional <laughs> rock musician. And, you know, I, I didn't love school. I didn't hate school. Yeah. I tried to get, you know, B so my parents would stay off my back and I could go play football and basketball. Yeah. And I did. But, you know, the idea of dropping out, no, 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 you can't do that. And sure enough, I dropped out, ran away to Greenwich Village, left a note under my pillow apologizing for the shame I was heaping on my parents. <laughs> and back then, you know, you, you felt like, well, if I'm going to do something like this, I got to pay my own way. And that started 45 years professionally. I will say eight days later, I returned home dying of pneumonia, mm -hmm. striking out <laughs> in New York miserably. And uh, when my parents realized I wasn't going to go back, um, and I said, look, as soon as I'm well, thank you so much. I'll get out of your hair and stop, you know, reaping shame on the family. And they said, well, look, we'd like you to do go back to school. You won't. But rather than kick you out, we're going to let you stay here at least for a while. You got to do all your chores. You got to pay rent and and see where your dream leads you. And they picked a rent that wasn't so great to drive me back to school as a failure, but it wasn't so low that I could sit around and do nothing. And man, I was so grateful for that support from them. I called every club, every fraternity, every sorority, every anything, teen clubs, trying to book Grin, put Grin together quickly. Mm -hmm. We played anywhere and everywhere for free. We didn't care, just played. And that led, you know, to us headed to LA and three weeks before we took off, I bumped into Neil Young, which was huge. And led to a whole side career, mm -hmm. starting with After the Gold Rush, while Grin was finding our way making records. That's the uh, beauty of it, is like while you're doing one thing, there's so many, you know, you think of uh, Stephen Van Zandt on the other side of the river with a band, Bruce with a band, all these dreams, you know, happening simultaneously. And you know, Ron, it's interesting because when the record deals dried up, first of all in 83... I was horrified. I was bummed out. Um, a, a, a friend, Bruce Springsteen, who I called on the phone, said he could tell I was down in the dump. I said, why don't you come up, hang out for a weekend? And we talked a bit, and he kind of just offered me words of encouragement because he could sympathize, you know. And uh, we played and jammed. We went and jammed in bars all around Jersey, mm -hmm. which was always a thrill. And it gave me some confidence um, to just, okay, I got to just carry on. And I, I did wind up finally making a record um, and carrying on. But in that interim, I joined the E Street Band. Months later, he called again, said he was looking, needed a guitar player. It worked out, obviously, in grand fashion for me. But even back in the mid-90s, I saw the writing on the wall that, Record companies weren't for me. I wasn't making the money. So, of course, it's mm -hmm. a business. So I got out of a deal. It took me a year and a half. It was very painful and difficult. And once I got free, I said, that's it. Thanks to technology, I'll get a website. I'll make music I want that I'm proud of and share it through a website. And that's what I've done for 20 years. And because I just kept at it, like, okay, what's the next creative thing for me? 
Go play. Go sing in clubs. Who cares yeah. if it's 200 people? It's a valuable, powerful experience for me to perform. Sure. And I've been doing that for 20 years. So all of a sudden now with the box set, the last 20 years of music, I own it. Right. So we don't have to fight with old record companies and strike deals that are expensive. I can just go, well, please try to get that music because I'll give you all this music free and gladly mm -hmm. to make it a complete package. So it all worked out. And that's the thing, man. You get down to the dups. You got to keep at it. It's not always easy. Sure. It's like a, the old adage, when one door closes, the other door opens, but it's hell in the hallway. Right. And we all find ourselves in the hallway occasionally. Yeah. And uh, it's easy to get into a dark spot. And I've been blessed with family and friends that I realize if I don't start finding them and hooking into them, Case in point, going up to see Bruce accidentally led to joining this great band. And 30 years later, now all of a sudden we're going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I, because I kept at it in a very grassroots, off-the-grid fashion, I got a massive box set coming out to, to share the, all that music that basically has been extinct. Yeah, sure. Years. It actually reminds you of somebody who works in the fine arts. You know, a painter paints and paints and paints. And then when there's a lot of it, people go, wow, this is incredibly interesting. Look at it as you put all this stuff up together. It, it now becomes even a separate piece of work, the, the, the massive amount of it. Yeah, and I just, um, I got to admit, when I go off and initially played with uh, Neil Young a lot mm -hmm. and then uh, Ringo Starr first two all-star bands which was always so great and then the E Street band what happens is like this summer for instance looks like there's no gigs I'll go back to my own music and be excited about the next chapter for me uh, and as I get back to it, I won't be musically rusty. Right. Because I'm really sharp musically. So I'll bring that to my next thing when I get back into the writer's frame of mind. Because when I'm with E Street, I give myself permission to just be a member of the E Street band. I don't try to write songs. Mm -hmm. I don't try to plan my next solo work. I'm just down in the band. And I love that. And it's a gift to myself because I love being in a great band. And it's nice not to always be the band leader sure. and deal with all that other stuff and have to you know, only sing lead and only play solo. Right. I, I, mean, I love being a harmony singer. I love playing rhythm guitar and all that other stuff that I don't get to do as a band leader. Um. Face the music just as he's entering the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, a 45-year career retrospective, 10-disc limited edition box office set. This is a record uh, collector's dream. It's out Tuesday, May 27th, available for pre-order on Amazon.com, and then go to NilsLofgren.com. Thank you so much. Ron, Nils, thanks for, a million for spreading the word. It's great to see you. Great to see you. Love Sirius, and I appreciate the support. I'll see you next time coming through. Thanks, Ron.
pretend to play Ain't it sad how families make you run If my daddy ever caught me kissing her I believe he would chew his son But we're growing up and there'll come a day When the real world makes us run away Now we live in shame, play their silly game Soon we'll be gone and I won't have to say On Raw Dog. Serious XM Comedy Hits. Channel 99. Sure, brother Fisher. I can do voices too, like Shelby does. Uh, it is the Ron and Fez show. It's a Friday. And we're giving you some bonus material. Uh, Chris, what's on your mind today? I read this. There's an app about to be released called HS, and it's for people who are in AA. Mm-hmm. It's or If you get out of rehab, you get out of AA, they will give you this app, which will give you on-demand access to like a counselor if you're feeling... Like you want to have a drink or whatever else, and it will give you. It'll, it has a map function that pops up. Like you can actually tell it what would be your problem areas. It will pop up and show you that you're getting close to a problem area. And they've tried it out on actual people in the program and people who've gone out of rehab. And they say it's actually helping them because the app, when it's running, it's like, all right, I need to call someone right now. I need to talk to someone. Well, you know, they've always had an 800 number with AA2 where you can call, so it's not oh, really? as crazy as you're letting on. And then the problem areas would be what? I'm in a bar? <laughs> yeah, or that's... Or I haven't been going to meetings? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's so much technology. Uh, this stuff already exists to, the, to this time. There's nothing uh, weird about it. I find it odd that it'll, it'll fucking tell you... What like you can actually just access someone immediately if if you're feeling weird or, or it's just an app. You can do that with your phone. You can pick up your phone and make a call to any kind of counselor, and people will be around to help. It's not that different from now. Why is that strange? It's already a phone, right? Yeah, it's a phone. Yeah. So what if you had a phone and the app was just a fucking eight hundred number, <laughs> and then you hit it? It's it's I find it weird because someone's just developing this app for alcoholics and instead of just letting them make the call. It's no different. They're already making the call. I don't see what you're telling me is new and different. The new and different thing is that they've been apparently this has been helping people who are in the program is what Yes. So has the eight hundred <laughs> number. Now, what do you? How do you tell me when people know that they're in a problem area? 
they can like they could put that information into the app. And then, what information? I guess of so any place they find, it's, they'll they'll have a list of places that are that's their problem area or whatever, like a bar, let's say. And then it'll look at the map, and then bars will pop up. The bar things will pop up. And like, listen, dude, you maybe we shouldn't go over there. There's a bar over there. I don't know anyone who acts like they can't be in the same city as a bar. <laughs> that's what these, these people are saying. The good people at HS the app also has recovery podcasts. You just be walking. I know a lot of people who do recovery podcasts. A, Republic, uh, a recovery podcast is just like a regular meeting that you can listen in on. Hmm. All this shit you act like is no exist. Just like, oh, the app will tell you where a meeting is near you. Yeah, we've already had pamphlets for fucking 90 years. See, I'm not, I, I, don't, I wasn't aware of these things. That's why this app blew my mind away. If anyone should be aware of it, it's you, oh, you non-functioning alcoholic. Oh, I function very well. Let me just say this. I would gladly stand up in any meeting and go, his name is Chris, and he's an alcoholic. <laughs> hey! I thought I was, I was supposed to do this myself. <laughs> his name is Chris Stanley. What the fuck? Of Astoria, Queens. That's my last name! I'm just here to set up chairs. <laughs> Stop it! All right, that didn't work. What else you got, Chris? I thought you were going to, like, take the fucking stick, take the handle. I got take the it stick. Someplace. I mean, look how great Shelby did with his thing. Yeah, he did. He had a nice little box for himself. How about this? Richard Branson just came out and said, by September of this year, he's 90% sure he'll be in space with this family in Virgin Galactic. Can I tell you something? Sure. Wake me up when September ends. Green Day. <clears throat> Richard Branson's Tidal Wave. <laughs> oh, I'm aware of them. They're fucking strong. I mean, everyone has to call him out as a liar at this point. It's never going to happen. He's, Virgin Galactic isn't going to work. It's been a, what, 20-year fucking ruse? Can I just tell you what made me laugh that you said? What? That you said, everybody. Everybody. Everybody in the club. club. Yeah. <laughs> Don't like Richard Branson. I'm turning southern right before your eyes. Because I'm sick of him hearing him talk about this. What's, what's the Sweden story going down about the shorter work day? Oh, God. So, uh, in the Sweden's second biggest town, there, it's an experiment for the next year, six-hour work day. Is it's it's going to be implemented? It's already locked in. It's going to be implemented. Why would I want to work longer than I do now? <laughs> everybody know what I'm talking about. Everybody, everybody in Sweden's going to be working less. <laughs> and then France wants to set up a law: no emails after work time, which is weird because we have people that will only email us between twelve and three. Then it's communication blackout. Communication blackout. That's never going to happen in France. Why? They don't fucking like to work. <laughs> they take three months off in this summer. Yeah. Fuck. They call it time to let our cities crumble. <laughs> Might as well just fucking move to Europe then. I mean, six hour work days, three months off a year. Everyone's half drunk. Everyone loves the fuck. <laughs> Everyone, they smoke. You can smoke everywhere. It's yeah. fine. Why can't we adopt some of these lifestyles that we're fucking dealing with? I was in getting cigars the other day, so I'm in a cigar store. And uh, I light up a cigar, and a woman goes like this. Oh, my God, could you put that out? And I'm like, 
the cigar store. She was mad that you light up in a cigar store? Yeah, I was telling a joke, you fucking, oh, fucking idiot. Fucking No, I don't want to. <laughs> look who's the idiot. It's Shelby in the corner. You were doing the same thing, though, weren't you? Look who's, look who's the like, moron. I saw you. You had a fucking face. <laughs> like, seriously, like a stray dog looking at a sparkler. Like, he knows something important happened. I want to go in my dog house right now. <laughs> like, turn around a bunch of times. <laughs> You're playing the part of the dog? Yeah. So you said, I want to go in my dog house, and I'm turning around a bunch of times. Yeah, like when, you know, when they have find a comfortable oh, spot. I'm well aware yeah. the dog's turning around, Shelby. I'm well aware. <laughs> you think the dog house thinks, I want to go into my dog house, or I want to go into my house? <laughs> or really, that's the fucking guest house, the dog house, because the dog should be allowed in the home, I believe. You think when a dog's in the dog house, they feel like they're in trouble, or they feel like they're fucking cool? Depends. If it's raining out, they feel good. But if it's nice out, they feel like shit. If I worked at a pet store, I would constantly call up, you know, like if I owned it, and say to the kid who answered, like, who worked for me, where my dog's at. <laughs> <laughs> They're at the puppy mill from where we get them from. Oh. Wake me up when September ends. You still love Green Day? Yeah, they're, they're, they're still... Where did that shitty name come from, though? I don't know actually where Green Day came from. They used to be called something else. I like Tidal Wave from them. Give me another one of your big stories, Chris. One of the biggest restaurants in New York, 11 Madison Park, revealed how they prepare for their guests every evening. They Google, they look at the they look at the name the list of every reservation and they Google every single person to see what they like. Who, what they do for a living, and to personalize every single, every single dinner. How could they personalize it for me? Will they put like a little fucking satellite on my table. <laughs> How are they going to make it better? They'll like bring up radio or whatever. If anyone on staff has like any radio experience, or just as an example, yeah, they would. Not, I don't want to go out to a nice restaurant to talk about work. If I did that. I just go over and eat at Rob Cross's house. <laughs> this is freak. This is fucking nuts, all right? I don't want to be talking to people while I'm going to dinner. And this is too much to be Googling everyone to try to enhance the experience. It's not enhancing the experience. Well, They're just I, covering I their would, own ass. I would love... <laughs> They're covering their own ass. Look, let's, hear me out. They're covering <laughs> their... Don't make any sense. No, they're covering their own ass because I bet this is really... They're saying it's for the customer. And this is really for any sort of critics coming in. And they just throw about, yeah, this is for the customer. They're just, they just, because they got critics a bad review. They don't use their own names. When, oh. when a New York critic goes in, a lot of times you don't even know what they look like. They will never post their pictures, and then they'll use different names. And they normally go in uh, with, a, like, a party of four. Like the New York Times, they'll always pay themselves, and then the critic will test everybody's food. Wow. That's it's cool. very tough to know who a, a, a critic is. That just blew my theory away. Yeah. All your theories are shit and <laughs> just very shallow and barely thought out. That's very thought out. I'm thinking that they're just trying to fucking lie to everyone. I didn't know the this game was so damn deep. Oh, the game's it's a deep one. I uh, worked at a place before, and the waitress said that the critic... When he paid, tried to have two of the twenties stuck together so it looked like she stole money from him. I'm like, your fucking story sounds crazy. You know what? I believe it. Yeah, so did everybody else in the restaurant but me. <laughs> I just thought she was trying to get attention. <laughs> sounds like someone's a thief. Yeah.
Or a drunk. Mm. What if this, like, would they Google, like, things you hate, too, and then just suddenly just drop that? Like, oh, you you like the, uh, the, the prime rib? Hey, uh, those Knicks, they fucking suck, too, don't they? Just start dropping, like... Yeah, I can't imagine a fine restaurant is going to try to bring up stuff like that. And just then you had to quite the trip to Canada, sir. <laughs> Caught some walleye up there, did we? You've got a lot of mentions on your Twitter account. Aunt still uh, talking about that personal shit on Facebook. Got an aunt just like that. So can I start the table off with some fries? Why don't you do it through one of your cool new voices that you do? Oh, yeah. You'll, uh... You'll uh, hate the Knicks, I see, from your Facebook page. Well, you, you're coming to the Outback. That's what we're doing now. We're Googling you. Did you have to do that because you had so few friends as a youngster that you had to make up imaginary friends? If I came my hair, I can look in the mirror and pretend I'm talking to somebody else. Chris, you said you didn't have a lot of friends when you were a little kid? No, I didn't. I liked hanging out with adults. Is that weird? <laughs> no, they're the only ones who want to drink. <laughs> No, I didn't have a lot of friends. Oh, I was only child also. Uh, can I have your cigarette butt and some of the scuzz out of your beer? Thank you. I am just playing right now. I'm playing tap room. <laughs> if, I, if, if I fucking squeeze out enough tobacco out of all these cigarette butts, I can roll my own full cigarette. Do you realize you said Jubacco? Uh, at three times in one show. This is bad. I'm, I'm starting to think I'm an anti-Semite. Um, did you see the video up on the iBang? Of the guy who, because people are back and forth controversial on whether he's a funny, cool guy or the world's worst dad. But he videotaped him and his daughter every morning. Have you seen this, Chris? I haven't seen it, no. I guarantee you, if you watch this, this will be your biggest fear because you don't like being around kids. No, not at all. They weird me out. And I do like being around kids. Shelby, how are you on the kids? I I mean, I'm good with them, but I can't imagine, like, actually having one. Like, if you're, like, a 4th of July party, people have kids, you play with them, it's funny, but then I'm right. like, I don't want to take these, I don't want these people to come home with me. Did you picture Shelby changing a baby? I can fucking imagine him doing something to a baby, ain't changing it. All right, look, I'm talking about what, sucking baby it? dick. <laughs> Jesus. I'm talking about what, that's what he oh, does. Okay. You're not on that other show, you're on our show. All right, watch this guy. What's the name of this? Dad captures weekends of hell. Over three this is a months. couple days old, but I've been obsessed with it. Oh my God. <laughs> every boy, she's just totally pumped up. Why is he letting this kid listen to Lady Gaga? What can he do? He just wants to let her rock out. She's just beating him with a doll. Ha! 
I think it's cute. Some people are mad at him. Yeah, like every YouTube comment is like, oh, why don't you? She's obviously wanting attention. Like, he had a lot of, like, he's a popular person on Vine before this. Like, he was actually trying to put this out to rally people around Who was his he on Vine? Uh, he called himself Bottle Rocket. But he's not like a comedy I'm just writer or anything? He, I uh, watched some of them where he talks. I think he's like a Boston guy. Just funny guy. All right, so your thing, cute video, not harmful. Yeah, he's not trying to rally support around for hating his own daughter. What do you think? It's a portal into hell. So you hate the daughter anyway. Yeah. Why just fucking chill out, kid? I think he actually... I think that you have to like the daughter to do that. By the way, I had a niece like this, and there was nothing you could do. They finally, like, put a bar up in, like, between the door and just let her hang and do push-ups and shit until she exhausted herself. Yeah, like, the kids, like, they eventually run out of energy, or is it just... They no. Some of them don't. Some of them can go like that, that kid for 13, 14 hours a day. You, whether you consider yourself a good father or mother, is all just luck. You get some kind of David Lee Roth baby, there's nothing you can do. That baby just has to have monkey time. No. No more mon no monkey time. Now, to me, I was the exact opposite. I didn't even want to be in the same room as my parents. I wanted to be doing my own thing, you know? I didn't like if they were coming around here with music I was rocking, too. <laughs> It was weird as they, my parents never played any music as I was growing up. There was no music in the household. I thought your dad loved fucking uh, Moody Boy. He did Moody like the Moody Blues. blues. <laughs> <laughs> Other than that, it's the only thing I ever remember him fucking playing. Breathe deep through gathering gloom. What fucking song is that that they do that? They do it at the end of one of the songs, right? Now you're going crazy trying to figure it out. Yeah. Late lament. I'm Go ready to rock right Yeah, now. let's play it. Is it the end of the song? I think it's the beginning. All right, let's listen. Shelby, you got to hit it. Shelby, you got to find it. There you go. Breathe deep, the gathering gloom. Watch lights fade from every room. Bedsitter people look back and lament another day's useless energy spent. Impassioned lovers wrestle as one. Lonely man cries for love and has none. New mother picks up and suckles her son. Senior citizens wish they were young. Cold-hearted orb that rules the night Removes the colors from our sight Red is gray and yellow-white But we decide which is right And which is an illusion dad listening to thanks a lot moody blues when the hell am i supposed to listen to that? <laughs> uh, my morning jog 
That's not every song that they did. <laughs> they wrote a little poetry in the uh, big Chris Stanley's life. Sure. Fucking weird, though. Yeah. Your father was a man of the arts. <laughs> oh, definitely. Mm. We need to break here, Chris? Yeah, we could break here. All right, uh, we'll take a break. It is your best friends from the Ron and Fez show. People writing to us and saying, uh, will there be a payoff on Monday? We don't know. Some people think that we're toying or that I'm the puppet master. No. You can trust me to tell the truth. And why do I tell the truth to them, Hicks? Love. Yeah. Even Chris Stanley gets it. Love. Love. You get that, Shelby? Shelby, do you know what love is? What pure love is? Is that like a chemical thing that happens? or No. It's the feeling between an older man and a younger boy. Something that. that Nambla built itself up on. You like that, right? And well, right now, it's the most respected organization in the world. You remember, right? I tried to block it out, but now you're... As soon as he was old enough to sign his name, I didn't like him. Let's take a break. We come back. More. It's the Ron and Fez Show. Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Raw Dog. Serious XM. Comedy. It's Channel 99. We're starting to hate our rejoinder music. Doesn't seem like one break ever syncs up with the next break. We have to get a common theme. One that connects everything together. I blame Shelby for this. Yeah, because I told him to get on it back in November. Yeah. Um, what uh, month is it now? April. What's the exact date today, do you know? Today is April 11th. Mm, I got to do taxes. Let's see. I don't keep all my money. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what can they do? I mean, there's so many people in the United States. Mm. A couple of us don't do our taxes, right? Yeah. Right? What I mean, can there's they... no way they can find us. There's <laughs> 300 million people. <laughs> you, know I... you shouldn't even make those kind of jokes. Because look, I'm looking for you. All right, that was a joke. I'm going to pay my taxes on the morning of the 15th like I do every year. How about how David Tell was saying how he's a big fan of yours? That was weird. And then asking if you hang out down the cellar. No, I, I don't think I've ever even been to the cellar. Mm. Shelby, that was always your dream, and Chris Stanley got it. You like having your dreams crushed? Happens a lot. Oh, there was something you wanted to do today, right, Chris? Yeah, there's a five. It's the five This is the five The five on American subcultures. I was thinking about this. There's been a subculture every decade and just gotten crushed by whoever else is in the subculture at the time in that decade. Let me guess. Blacks? Not blacks. Blacks have been <laughs> blacks have been around the entire time. Here's a movie that you need to see. 
It's called 12 Years a Slave. It will fucking blow your mind. You know how you always thought it was great to be a slave? Uh-uh. It sucked. But you don't have People to pay rent. People can hit rent. you with a fucking belt. You don't have to pay rent. You get food. You know what? You're right. You turned me around. 12 years of living in luxury. What the fuck was he doing, huh? What was his problem? The slave, I mean. Come on, Platt. You're living the life of Riley over there. I've never even seen that movie. Isn't that good? What's that? 12 years of slave. First 11 years were. Then it just got <laughs> redundant. <laughs> so this five is on five subcultures. The first being the current one This that's been really since the 2000s. We're four years into this. And that is the subculture of the millennials. It's kids born in the late 80s, the early 90s. It's even the 2000s. There's like a big, there's a big chunk of actual time where, where that you can be labeled a millennial. The weird thing is, is they get labeled millennials because they like social media, and they like technology. Where at this point, everyone has to have be in the social media and use technology. So what's your point? Is that you're gonna fucking call someone a millennial? And I think that even people even use it in a derogatory term. Like, that, they're just a stupid millennial. But everyone is doing what millennials are, are doing. It's it's just young people. A, young, a millennial is just a young person. Well, a lot of times they act like the millennials fucked up everything that is going on now. Shelby a millennial? Shelby's a millennial. Born in, what, 91? Correct. You're a millennial. You're ruining it for everyone else. Like that, oh, these millennials, they, they don't work. Or, oh, these millennials, they're all just obsessed with technology. When a lot of us do have to work a lot because shit's so expensive like college because of these older generations. But can I, what do you mean because of the older generations? Well, well they didn't just get like that on its own. Why are you blaming the older generations for the college? College is a choice. I'm just saying not like the cost of it. Yeah, but you still made the choice. You yeah. didn't have to go to college. Yeah, I know I shouldn't have gone to college. I'm not blaming you anyone for going to college. You need college for your job. I don't, but they kind of require that. Who? You know, uh, people that hire you. Here, we don't require that you're in college. Well, I mean, maybe not like a, a host. But if you're getting into like a smaller, they pretty much require that. No, they don't. No. It's not written explicitly, but... Your job, we hire people all the time. Um, Earl never went to college, or he had some two-year shitty degree. Yeah, it was bullshit, it was bullshit. Billy Staples never went to college. I'm you, saying now. You aimed low. No, today, if we got rid of you, I wouldn't say we need a college education person. Or if, if Chris left, I would not say, let me see your college education. Yeah, I, I, I don't give a fuck. This exact show, but I mean, if I was getting a job done. Oh, like home. ONA. Yeah, then you'd have to have a college education. Sure. That's a, a You're master's. wrong, Shelby. You don't have to have a college education for your job. This is what you learned in fucking four years, not to listen to common sense. I am telling you, you don't need a college education. We hire a lot of people. Some of them have a technical background. They go to that radio school. Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Which, by the way, won not only the men's, but the women's title this year. Big ups. Wait, Boom. No, wait, no, that was the Huskies. That's UConn. Yeah, no, it's the same school. Wait, for real? Yeah. I had no idea that that was a private college. 
Good for them. Howard the intern should be much happier than he is. Is that where he went? He went to Connecticut School of Broadcasting, yeah. I thought he went to, like, Fallujah State. You know what? I think it's oh. fucking great that you don't support the troops, but I do. I don't think there's anything that Shelby supports. Oh, I know. He won't even support that baby of his. He just dropped that load and peaced out. He likes making babies. He don't like raising them. That's his problem. <laughs> You're a real weirdo. You know that, Shelby? You're a fucking freak. You're a millennial freak. <laughs> the the subculture that Shelby missed out on... Which I don't think he could get into, even if he was born the right time, was the hipster subculture. Are you saying the millennials are younger than the hipsters? Yeah. A millennial is younger than a hipster. I didn't know that. Hipsters can be even older. Millennials are like, it's like 2010. It's like to the 2010s, once that started, that's like the decade of the millennial. Whereas hipsters were more around, like, they really, I think the term hipster really started getting thrown around, like, as its current state, around in the 2000s. Between 2000 and 2010. Is when hipster, this the word hipster has been hammered so fucking hard to the point where anyone could be a hipster. There was an article for, for Occupy, there was the MP, NYPD cop hipster, or the hipster cop in the NYPD. It, it, that, the fucking term doesn't mean anything. A lot of it has to do with facial hair. If you have a beard, you're automatically a hipster. <laughs> now, let's just say this would Santa Claus be considered a hipster? Oh, yeah, look how he dresses. It's way different from everybody. That suits one, ironically. The only thing I don't understand about hipsters is their love with those bikes with the big fucking front tire and the little back one. It's because it's old school. They're it's too old, though. Constantly tipping over. A lot of compound fractures in the hipster community. Well, it seems like you learned a lot in college, didn't you, college boy? Yep. Look at the college millennial. Look at the college boy on this one. How about all this college didn't even when I'm working here? <laughs> I wouldn't even believe when you said he did a, did a good job. Oh, when I talked to his fucking professor or his advisor, whatever it was, he was just astounded, and he seemed actually freaked out that I was I was saying nice things about Shelby. Isn't that weird? Did you know that guy didn't like you? Uh, yeah, I think I just kind of like was wanting to try different things, and he just wanted me to like really. Oh, he was like really super religious too. And, like, whenever you would Google this show, stuff about, like, ONA would come up, and this show about, like, just, like, immoral things. And he's like, you know, just because if you go there, you don't have to be doing those type of things. I'm like, what, what do you think I'm going to try to be doing here, man? What, um, was it a religious school you had when you went to? No, not, it's, no, it's like a giant party school, but he's there, like, has, like, eight, nine kids. He's like actually a nice, smart guy. I'm not. I shouldn't even be running him down. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Is he but by the way, he's wrong. You do have to do him. If I if someone said, "Oh, I'm going to intern," I'd say, "Go with the bit." If I was a college professor, I wouldn't say, "Don't do it." Yeah, but he made it. He's like make it seem like you know they're going to be like throwing a lot of topless girls at you and uh, doing all kinds of shit. Like, why I don't would that know. be a problem? Look, you read a lot of articles here. I'm not sure. Seems like this guy is prejudgmental, Shelby. Oh, Shelby, is. in his defense, at least for five years, I had fucking titties, titty girls dancing every single day. Then I grew out of it. It's fucking like a Caliglia at a fucking morning show. <laughs> that technology did not exist. Jesus Christ, that college is working out for you. What a weird fucking place. All right, it is the Run of Fez show. Well, for now. Uh, so much happening this week. By the way, you can go see Chris's Five is up at the iBang. At the iBang. American oh, yeah. subcultures. Yeah. 
What's it called? American Subcultures. See if you can read through it and stay awake. <laughs> oh, it's good stuff. I know, but I mean, I like having something to sleep to. No, it's, it's not sleep to. It's the read to. The thing about subcultures is no, none of these subcultures would refer to them as that name. Like nobody in the 70s was saying, hey, we're hippies. So looking back. The hippies was actually just early 60s. Yeah. Uh, like it, it was even my late sixties that was gone. No one ever called themselves a beatnik. I do think people called themselves punks, though. Yeah, that's that's the one. Punk is the one that gets away with it. Where no one ever calls themselves a hipster. Oh, no, hipster is like a bad term. Like that guy's a hipster asshole. Or if so, it's, if someone says a kid, I swear to God, people say I hate hipsters, and to me they would be considered hipsters. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, it would be like when Earl always says that he hates black people. And now punks, that's totally been like corrupted where it's, you think, oh, look, I'm a punk. I dress like I'm from Hot Topic, but it's like the most corporate thing ever now. But like, see, that's, that's just like superficial punk rock. Or, yeah. There's, yeah. Punk it, has actually ideals like do it yourself and anti commercialism and anti racism. Right. Like those are actually ideals to live by, not as opposed to just having a costume of fucking leather. Chris, I'm going to say congratulations. You know quite a bit about punk. <laughs> It's one of the American subcultures on my five. Oh, yeah, I forgot. <laughs> no, don't forget. <laughs> Stay up. Jesus. Uh, poppies. Poppies will make me sleep. <laughs> I should do my five things that make me sleepy. Downs, Chris Stanley, and heroin. <laughs> What's the other two? I hate to say it, but more Chris Stanley. Oh. And then Chris Stanley on heroin. This this is getting bad. You know what will make me almost sleepier than anything else? If I see a baby trying to stay awake. When a baby is doing the head roll thing and open her eyes and close, I'll start to be the same way. Here's and now I'm walking into a movie theater can put me to sleep. What if we get some video cameras, we tape babies... Like fall, almost falling asleep, and release this as a way as a sleep aid. And like this could be an app. As soon as yeah. you hit the app, it'll take you to a place where a sleeping baby is. Yeah, yeah. Call it sleepy baby, sleepy you. <laughs> I mean, you this. Know, why would we call it sleepy baby, sleepy Jew? <laughs> I, again. <laughs> Fuck. Can you just attend diversity training too? Next week, why don't you do your fives on all the ages we've been through? The Bronze Age. <laughs> the Stone Age. The Industrial Age. The right, look, it's right. This is turning into more of a timeline. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> what a dope. Uh, there's a fantastic. And look at me when I say, well, you're not much of a 60s guy, are you, Shelby? In terms of what? Like, you don't like 60s music. Yeah, I do. Who's your favorite band from the 60s? Let's go with the Stones. Hicks, are you a 60s guy? Yeah. Beatles. Do you know? First of all, the Beatles were the number one selling band uh, in singles of the 60s. Number two was not the Rolling Stones. Uh, nobody from Motown. It was the Dave Clark Five. Dave Clark Five. There's this really great documentary out. Uh, you'll be you can see it tonight, by the way, on PBS. Uh, but great, great music. 
of really of that time, though. But what was really interesting is that you saw guys from all different bands saying, this is the first band that these guys could really play. Like, they were really musicians. And not just, you know... Kids they threw kids out there. Kids at it. Like, everyone thought, wow, there's a really fucking heavy group that kind of, you know, set up the next thing. But the amazing thing is that Dave Clark was like this brilliant guy who somehow... Out of everyone, he was the only one who kept the rights to his music. And he managed himself. You know how you always would hear of, like, you know, the Stones would be caught up in lawsuits because they signed shit away. If someone screws Beatles, them over. Uh, yeah, almost everybody gets screwed over. For some reason, Dave Clark was this young guy in his 20s. He went in and he goes, no, I'll manage the band. And... I'll uh, produce the records, and I want to own them. And then he was almost like his own road manager. He took the band out. He set it up. And I don't know if anyone did this before him, but he had a plane, right? And these guys were like in their early 20s. They would have a plane, and he would say, all right, we're only going to work so many days, and then the rest of the days we all go water skiing. And, and this is in the 60s. In the, in they, the early 60s. They had their own plane. So I was talking to what? Steve Leeds about this, and Leeds said to me, uh, the guy's a fucking genius. You know, when we start to go over everything from this, like, not just like, normally when we say like musical genius, but this guy was like a genius genius. He has uh, to be the only one who owns his music, right, from that time? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure he was the only one who somehow said, I'm keeping the publishing, I'm keeping these songs. Uh, then through the 70s, you know, he invested in all kinds of things. He went and bought all this great archival material, which I'll get into when we talk about it. But it's a beautiful thing that he went back and bought some of this music from old TV shows, basically the Ready, Steady, Go show, or so much of this great rock tape would be gone, missing today. And uh, I heard this from someone else, but this is the t type of guy he is. He did musicals and all after that. But Freddie Mercury from Queen, when he passed away, Dave Clark was with him. They were that close. Holy. So that was long after the fact of the 60s. That, you know, really brilliant people would come to him for counsel and stuff. Uh, he's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If you like rockumentaries. Well, I love them. That's one. What about you, Shelby? I love rockumentaries. Yeah, watch this tonight on PBS so we can talk about it on Monday. But there, are there bands today? They're like artists. Do they have like their own publishing or did they not even learn from it? Do you think? Some people did learn from it. You know, particularly some of the uh, independent bands and stuff like that. But he didn't just own his own publishing. He owned his own publishing for music that for like 10 years he had like 40 hits. You know, 15 top 10 hits in a row. Just gigantic, knocking, you know, his was the band that would knock the Beatles off the thing. Um, it was it would be like if you found out, I'm trying to think, like Justin Bieber 
owned his own publishing, produced his own records, booked his own road shows, and had the plane. You know what I mean? Like, it's a really great story. And, by the way, wasn't a dick about it. Like, you never heard of these guys getting any kind of, like, oh, we met the Dave Clark Five and they pissed down our throats <laughs> and acted like maniacs. He's a really fucking cool dude. This is one of the real pleasures of my life, to have a chance to talk to him. And um, I was telling Hicks the other day that when I brought up uh, the fact that um, I brought up Dave Clark's name to um, Billy Bob Thornton. Billy Bob Thornton was like, what? where? And his like, his he starts to stumble back, and then he comes over to me and goes like this. When I was a kid, I had a band, and all we did was play Dave Clark Five records. He goes, he's my hero. It's amazing, right? It's mind-blowing, man. I always like the fact... That you can fucking, no matter somebody that you think is uh, like a big star, start to act like a fan pretty goddamn quick. Um, it's a pleasure to bring him in here. And uh, I'm glad that you're hearing some of this extra programming that we have, too. Uh, Dave Clark. Clark 5 and Beyond is airing on PBS now. Go to pbs.org for more info. And Dave Clark is in studio with us. How are you, sir? It's a pleasure to be here, my friend. Can I tell you something? This documentary is so much fun, but one of my favorite things about it is that you have footage of the Dave Clark 5 just really letting loose live. You know what I mean? And it's one thing that we know the singles and we've yeah. seen the TV appearances, but some of the stuff where you just see the musicianship, it's fantastic. 
Yeah, the sad thing is, in those days, I used to collect all the TV shows, mm -hmm. thinking that a lot of the live stuff was shot on film for newsreel, whatever. Right. And I never thought to collect it, like the interviews and press conferences. Yeah. Later, when I came to try and collect it, they used to throw it away after. Isn't that amazing? Uh, otherwise, we'd have had a lot more. Yeah, that's why there's so much of this stuff that it's amazing to see it in the real time. The yes. explosion of creativity that was going on in the, at, at that exact time that, yeah, you guys of your own, but everything that was surrounding you yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, and then the other amazing thing is the amount of great rock and roll stars sitting around talking about these are the times as they were younger people this changed their lives well i it embarrassed me i didn't do the interviews uh, um it, it, it i was very very flattered and embarrassed at the same time because these are people that i look up to now mm -hmm. you know they they're great artists you know bruce springsteen um Elton, Stevie Wonder, or Paul, Paul McCartney, Paul I was McCartney. amazed. Yeah. I mean, I, he just jumped at doing it, and I was, I was thrilled, and I thought it was very generous of Paul. Well, Paul is very generous and still competitive. There's a beautiful yes. competitiveness that still takes place after all these years. Yeah, but the thing is, he told the truth <laughs> yeah. about the the, the, the the press thing, where it was the DC5 versus the Beatles. <laughs> There was no animosity. There was no rivalry. It was something that the press made up. And Paul told the story, which is great. Yeah, it is great. And, you know, at that time, you know, some competitiveness is very healthy. Oh, it is healthy. For everybody. Yeah. Because uh, you look back at that uh, English invasion period. And we're looking 50 years right now since you guys came I'm trying came to over. figure that out. I yeah. haven't reached 50 yet. Isn't that stunning? <laughs> But there was so many, any single one of those groups w could have started the invasion, you know, yes. any single one of them. Yes, yes. Um, and your group, the Dave Clark Five, first of all, the amount of music that came out in a very short period of time is just stunning. Thank stunning. You. And while that's happening, all that creativity is happening, you guys are traveling the world. Yep. Yeah. How how did that all come about? Well, I mean, the amazing thing is, you know, people sometimes criticize Ed Sullivan. Mm -hmm. Ed Sullivan was responsible for the success of the British invasion. To get into 70 million homes, you couldn't do that today. You, we couldn't do that in England. You know, nobody could. And then to have you guys on radio playing the records and then every home saw what we looked like mm -hmm. was... Were, were, was just was just amazing and i i, I think that's the reason it, it, everything happened so quickly i mean i think we were lucky because we were two weeks after the beatles we were asked to do the sullivan show and i turned it down because i'd never heard of ed sullivan <laughs> um but uh, he was very generous to us and we did 18 shows and i think we were very lucky you know um and when you get back to how did we write those songs? Well, our, the power of Sullivan, we, we actually did two, we did the first show, we were um, really un unknown. We had a record, Glad or 
over was in the charts in America. It was the fastest selling single in, um, I think it was February, um, 64. And, um, we went off to, after the show to Montego Bay, came back the following week on the Friday to do the second week show. And there was 30,000 people at Kennedy airport and they had to get us out by helicopter onto what was the Pan Am building then. Wow. It was just unbelievable. And we were then, all the boys before that, the week before the Sullivan, were working in factories and offices. It was all <laughs> a last-minute <laughs> thing. And and which shows in the documentary. I mean, Mike yeah. sums it up very well. And, you know, it was just unbelievable. We went back. We had a sold-out tour of England It because we went professional then. Before that, we were just doing it for the fun of it. And at the end of that tour, eight weeks later... We were back in America for three weeks, selling out huge stadiums, we all sold out, within being unknown, and then eight weeks later, you couldn't do that today. No, no, it, it's impossible. It was just the power of the Sullivan show yeah. and the radio stations all together. But Sullivan, actually people seeing you in their living room, you know? Yeah, it's somewhat of a perfect storm that they had built this kind of TV and radio infrastructure, and then suddenly this outside thing comes in and is ready to fill it with content. Yeah. Because the creativity that was happening with the Beatles, the Stones, the Kinks, the Animals, the, the list goes on and on, suddenly was able to say, okay, here's, you know, here's something new, and there's a lot of it. Yeah. Um, how are you able to keep writing songs on the road like that? Well, that because, uh, as I said, on that first tour, which was a three-week tour, it was a nightmare. Mm -hmm. um, because we went by normal flights. We had security. I mean, it was crazy. I always remember playing, the f when we played the arena in Washington, D.C., the, the stage was in the middle, and um, it was like a football ring. And we managed to get on, but to get when we got off, Rick got knocked out, and the security said, "Leave him behind, get off, guys." <laughs> so Mike and I carried him through, and the same as um, uh, Cleveland, a girl jumped out of the balcony for my autograph, landed in front of my drum kit, broke uh, broken both her legs, and still asked for the autograph. It was so crazy. I said to the guys, "We can't do this anymore. We're going to get a plane," and so we got the plane, the DC five. And what it gave us was when we were traveling from between gigs and you sometimes you go from New York to L.A., we would write the songs. So that became your kind of home studio? It your became garage. our home studio. And I said to the guys, we're not going to work more than five days a week because you just burn yourself out. And then we always stopped at places where I, we all like to water ski and then um, we could switch off and it was secure and that gave us a chance to write and then when we came back to england we were ready to record because we have very short time to record you have maybe one or two days and that was it now the you were kind of managing all these things yourself. Yeah. yeah. How uh, how did you feel the confidence as a young man to make these kind of decisions? I think when you're young, the world's at your feet. Right. You don't think about what might be and what might go wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, you feel anything and everything's possible. It's, I, I've always said what well, nobody's ever really clocked in on. In America, you had the draft. Mm -hmm. In England, we had 
the same thing, but it was called National Service. And the, the Beatles, the DC5, the Stones, and all those groups, we were the first generation that wasn't drafted. Right. And that's the age when you're 18, you were put into the military. If, we weren't. So therefore, that's the age where all the creative juices are going, your freedom of speech, your rebelliousness, whatever. Yeah. And I, I think that's why the English were slightly different from American kids because they were drafted. And I think that um, gave us, that's why there was a bit more freedom in a way. Right. And it was like the first generation in forever to have that kind of freedom. Um, it was. I yeah. remember speaking to Elvis Presley and he told me that they were um, coached on what to say and what not to say on yeah. television. Whereas when the Beatles first went on and John Lennon made his wise cracks and that, that was him being natural. Yeah. That was his humor. He, and nobody told you couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. The same when we went on, you know, you, you, you were yourself. And I, I think it's always a big danger of being manufactured. And in the early days, I mean, the, the music with Elvis and all those artists was amazing. But I think the danger was you were manufactured because, I, you know, I met Elvis and spent a few days with him. And like it, it's been written, you know, he said, you see one of my movies, you've seen them all. Mm. Just different location, different songs. Uh, and yeah, he's great. He was a good, good actor. Yeah. And if you look at Flaming Star, where there was no songs in it, he was very, very good. But they wouldn't make it. The Colonel wouldn't let him make anymore because he didn't have any songs in it. So they couldn't sell records. And that was wrong. It's like the biggest mistake ever um, when Barbara Streisand went down to Vegas to ask him to do um, 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 Star is Born A Star is Born sorry. When, when Barbara Streisand went down to Vegas and asked Elvis to do A Star is Born he wanted to do it and at that stage, at that stage of his career he was so ripe for that mm -hmm. but the Colonel wanted so much money Sure, uh, they couldn't use him. And it's always I about short money. Always about short it, money. And it's yeah. not. I mean, yeah. I would do something for nothing mm -hmm. if it's right, because you reap the rewards in the long run. Well, this is one of the things that was interesting to hear so many of the rock stars talking about you is that you ended up, unlike everyone else, owning your own publishing. Um, you got the masters back from after yeah. five years. Three years. Three Mike, years. Yeah, Mike got it wrong. Yeah. It, was, it was Mike was right in one way. Uh, the first deal was a three-year deal, and I got it back. I was so happy with EMI. I then extended the deal, and I was with EMI all the way through with the DC five. So, you know, that's fine. Now, how would you, as a young man, think to yourself, there is value to me owning this product and not just selling it? And, you know, running out and buying a new car. You didn't look at longevity in those days. I mean, we, our first record deal, I mean, we were fortunate enough, you know, we paid our dues like the Beatles and everybody playing at the real dives and clubs and you gradually build up a following. And then we went on to the role Tottenham where we, it was a, a, an organization called the Mecca Circuit all over England. We played in Tottenham, but they, they catered for, um, over 12 million punters a week and we got the award for being the best live band in the UK in 1963 because we were packing 6,000 people in a night so we got off of record deals the first record deal was Decca Records and ironically that was the company that turned down the Beatles mm. and um, 
I was going to go with them. And then they said, well, we've got this new kid on the block who's a great producer. Can you come in and see how you get on with him? And the first thing he said, you don't record any of your own songs. This is what you record. And in those days, they had deals with publishing companies where they got kickbacks for recording their songs. And I thought, this is not for us. We're going to record our own songs. So EMI was after us, so I went in as an independent producer. And, and I thought I'd ask for a really exorbitant rate, thinking, well, this kid, you know, we want him, but we're paying the regular rate. Right. And to my amazement, they agreed. And then at the end, they, uh, they said, is there anything else you need before we get this all drawn up and signed? I said, yeah, I'd like the masters back. And they said, what? I said, no, I'd like the recordings back after the three-year period. And they hummed and hard. I said, look, I don't want you to pay for the recordings. I'll pay for them. I didn't have any money. I didn't tell them <laughs> that. Um, and, um, and I think they, in all honesty, hand on heart, in those days, they never looked on longevity. They thought it was one, two, three hit wonder. Right. Somebody else had come along. So they agreed. And of course, now everybody says it was a very clever move. At the time, it wasn't for that. It was to control your creativity. So the, you put out what you believed in, what you wrote, what you recorded. If it wasn't a hit, you couldn't blame somebody else for it. Right. It was your decision. And the, and the hits kept coming. Everything yeah. that all your dreams oh. were actually fulfilled in front of you. Bigger than my wildest dream. Yeah. Uh, because you had hits, not just in England, which would have been fabulous to be gigantic in England, then in America, and then all, all over, over the, the world. world. I mean, our biggest audience we played to was a quarter of a million people in the Philippines. It was amazing. Yeah. And so many other bands weren't thinking, hey, I should go to the Philippines. You know what I mean? Like, one of the really smart things about that is that there was this hunger all over. You had your own plane. Let's go. We'll have fun. We'll yeah. hit the... I mean, it's this is the funnest thing about this documentary. It's... it's. All, I don't know whether you've ever seen, uh, I think, Tom Hanks... Did the wonders? Um, yeah, we ba that based that on the yeah. DC Five. That's how we met. Yeah, and it's just like if that thing went on forever and er you know yeah. just a long period of time. Oh yeah, when Tom Hanks brought you into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, just such a speech, uh, one for the ages, and that shows in here as well. Um, oh, were, he blew me away. Yeah, I mean that that happened by accident because. Tom was a fan, and he wrote me a letter. Yeah. And he said, I'm doing this film called Bad Thing, you do. Thing you do. It's based basically on the DC-5, and I'd love to meet you. And and we met, and and then I didn't see him for about, oh, 10 years. I mean, he went on Letterman and Leno, and all he was talking about was the DC-5, the Battle of the Bands. He was a DC-5 fan rather than the Beatles. And I wrote him a note and thanked him. And he said, he wrote me a handwritten note back, which was lovely. He said, it always gives me a thrill to talk about the five. And I thought that was very sweet. And I hadn't heard from him for 10 years. When we got the Hall of Fame, they said, who do you want to induct you? And I said, Tom Hanks. And they said, no, he's not music. And I said, but he's great. He's a, he is an Academy Award winning um, artist. But apart from that, he's a huge fan of the DC5. And I think if you're going to get somebody to induct you, it should be somebody that likes your music. Mm. So they suggested Paul McCartney, who would have been great. 
but Paul was in the middle of a divorce with Heather and it was in that march where the Hall of Fame was. So they, there was nobody else. They kept coming up that I would agree, you know, I agreed to. And then on a Friday night, it was about 10 at night, they phoned me and said, look, we've thought about it. We've had a board meeting. We've found out about Tom Hanks. He's doing a movie. You'll never get him. But if you can get him, we'll agree. So I, it was 10 at night in UK time. So it was about um, 2 in the afternoon in LA. So I phoned his office. Bearing in mind, I hadn't spoken to him for 10 years. And his, secret, his PA, Alison, got on the phone. She said, he's in the middle of a film and he is booked up then, Dave. But I will ask him. Mm -hmm. I woke up Saturday morning. There was an email from Tom. He said, Dave, I will be thrilled. And he flew himself up in his own plane, didn't charge the Hall of Fame a penny. And I didn't know what he was going to say. I thought he was just going to give us the award and say, congratulations, yeah. guys. And it was a most amazing speech. And in fact, it got reviewed in all the major, the New York Times, LA Times, sure. as the best induction speech since the Hall of Fame had started 25 years before. But what impressed me is he painted a picture of his childhood, what it meant to America, not just the DC-5, mm -hmm. the whole British invasion thing. And, and it really moved me. And so it was very hard for me to do the Hall of Fame because a few days before Mike Smith mm. had died. Yes. And it was very emotional. And he said to me after, and he'd been on at me, and we, he was always on at me telling stories and things, and, and Steve Van Zans and Bruce. said, look, you, you know, you've got to do a documentary, write a book. You, and I said, no, you know, we finished, and I know what we did. The boys know what we achieved, and we're very proud, and that's it. And he said, well, you owe it to history. You owe it to yourself. But more than anything, Dave, you owe it to the boys. Well, mm. I just lost my best mate, Mike, and Dennis the year before. So I went along and did it. But Tom's speech gave me the inspiration to the way I felt it should go. Too many people have written our history, uh, which in a way, excuse me, pisses me off. Sure. Because they, A, they didn't know us. A lot of them weren't even born then. And it's their interpretation of what somebody might have said or read or whatever. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it properly. But I like the idea of doing it through somebody else's eyes. Yeah. I didn't do the interviews. I didn't realize they were going to be so... I thought they'd be controversial, which would be nice. One would say something good, <laughs> somebody else would be, yeah. uh, you know, say something negative, which makes... I think that always makes things exciting. But instead of that, it worked the other way around. And I felt very flattered, but very, very embarrassed. And I just thought, you know, I was going to take my name off if it was my production company. And um, very close friends in the industry said, you shouldn't, you know. You didn't do the interviews. It, people, it, it's not talking heads. People are saying what they believe. Right. And these are people who are passionate about music. Not only are they great musicians, but they love and live for music. Yes. It's a fantastic documentary in that sense. So I went that direction and I thought, that, you know, that, that tells the story. It's all very well for me. It's like talking about getting the first record deal. Yeah. I felt it was more believable seeing film of 30 years ago or whatever, me talking about it, mm -hmm. because there's something real and sincere about it. If you talk about it now, 
you're being sincere, but the point is, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. That interview, I didn't know I was going to be asked that question. So it was very, a very honest answer yeah. without any preconceived idea. And, and that's why I went for that original footage. And then I thought, if it doesn't work, I'll fill in the gaps or redo it, you know. But it, it worked. Uh, one of the and we could go on and on about so many different places that your career has taken you, but I thought one of the real amazing parts of this documentary, glad all over the Dave Clark Five and beyond. It's on PBS dot org for more info on that. But you went back and purchased uh, the archival material from Ready Steady Go, which some of this material would have been destroyed and it was about so many great not just english artists playing on that show a live show but american artists great soul american artists have artists. come over uh in my opinion i think it's the same way that i love the national park system where teddy roosevelt went in to save this yeah. land that's how i feel about you saving you. that archival material because it is for the ages, for the ages. That's what I, I, I bought it for. It, it happened by accident because in the 70s, I thought I'll collect all the DC-5 footage for archives. And I found that apart from the stuff I got in America, um, fortunately, Ed Sullivan let me have his shows um, and on all the other shows, um, all the documentary footage had been destroyed because they threw it away. Um, uh, after after it went out on the news, you know, it was filmed. And so I, I did some research to get English shows, and we had some huge hits in the 69-70. They'd all been wiped. Unbelievable. And I went through, uh, you know, we'd done... Uh, there was a show called Thank You Lucky Stars where that picture of us and the Beatles comes from. I did 30 of those shows. Everything's wiped. So I found out that Rediffusion, which was a big television network, had lost their license. And they were destroying all these shows. So I went in and said, Look, I'd like to buy them. They said, we don't know what we've got. I said, well, I'll, I'll make you an offer from the very first show to the very last show. And, what, and if it's not in existence, so be it. And I got everything. And I didn't do it for monetary reasons. And I've got crucified for it and some things because I was getting offered, and it's a lot of money, 30000 40000 pounds for three minutes of Beatles or Stones or whoever. And I wanted to keep the shows intact as they were and sit on them for 20 years or whatever. And then they'd be ready for the new generation to experience what we did. Sure. And that's what it was done for. A lot of people didn't understand that. Um, but I felt it was, my, it was my belief, and that's what I did it. And I thought it was my contribution to preserving. Mm. I mean, Elton hit on that straight away in the documentary. It was, it, was, it was my contribution to preserve the amazing time we all had. Absolutely. And the footage itself is precious. I mean, oh. there, there, you show a little clip of the Otis Redding, and you're like... Oh, my God. And that oh was live. God. Yeah, live, just coming out, and it was it was explosive. Oh, explosive. Um, and the American, I mean, Ready, Steady, Go was so important where Motown wasn't known in America. So the whole Motown review came over, and they gave it a spot, and they weren't known. That was a great thing about it. They give new artists 
Uh, and as soon as they, Motown had been on, they just exploded. The same as Otis Redding, the same as Marvin Gaye, um, Martha Reeves and Vandellas, um, Smoking Rubbers, all these great acts. And, and I thought it's so important because it was American music that inspired all those British groups, even if they don't admit to it. They, that's how, what inspired us to make music, to play. Yeah, and uh, the footage is priceless. Literally, like, you know, saving a Van Gogh, in my opinion. It's Thank just uh, on its way. As I said, we could go on and on and on because the documentary is spectacular. There's so much stuff that we didn't know or didn't know the way it went down. And it's fascinating stuff. Uh, glad all over the Dave Clark Five and beyond airing on PBS. Now go to PBS.org for more information. Thank it's, on, you. it's on this Friday if this is coming out. Yeah. Yeah. On, on this Friday. Uh, thank you so much uh, for stopping by here today. I really oh, it's enjoyed been, it. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Yeah. You know, it's and been a blast it is. from the past. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time coming through. Take care. It's Jeffrey Gurian here for Sirius XM Radio, bringing you the 411 on what's going on in the comedy scene in New York, L.A., and anywhere else I think is important within one minute. My buddy Tracy Morgan's new one-hour comedy special, Bonafide, drops on Comedy Central Sunday, April 20th at 10 p.m. ET. That's Eastern Time, not extraterrestrial. For fans who can't wait till the 20th, starting on April 12th, a special extended edition will be available for download on Comedy Central Stand Up Direct on the Comedy Central website. Tracy taped this special at the Brooklyn Academy of Music's Harvey Theater and details his journey from Bed-Stuy to Hollywood, including the time that Prince threw him out of his house after an all-night party. Tracy will be doing a one-hour in-depth, unmasked interview with SiriusXM's Ron Bennington, which will air Saturday, April 19th at 8 p.m. Eastern on Raw. 
Raw Dog, Channel 99. And on Thursday the 16th, we'll be at the 92nd Street Y for an interview moderated by comic Hannibal Burris, who just dropped his own one-hour comedy special called Live from Chicago. Anyway, that's it for me. This has been Jeffrey Gurian for Sirius XM, reminding you, you may forget a lot of things, but never forget that comedy matters. Follow me on Twitter at Jeffrey Gurian and on ComedyMattersTV.com for interviews with all your favorite stars. Shout out to Nick Kroll. That's my one minute. I'm out. Ron and Fez on Raw Dog. Sirius XM. Comedy hits. Channel 99. Yeah, buddies. Run a Fez show. 866 Ron Zero Fez. 866 Ron Zero Fez. This is kind of bonus Ron and Fez. We've taken off uh, today, but we left you some bonus material. You like You're that? welcome, Earth. How you like that? And outside Earth, too, because this is a satellite. Yeah, but it doesn't go past the satellite, does it? It doesn't go way up into space. But the satellite is in space. Yeah, but does it go in every direction in space, or does it just go straight down? For that moment, but before from the satellite between the satellite and Earth, it is in space. That that's not that deep into space. It's nothing to be impressed with. Um, Ron and Fez show uh, great week this week. A lot of fun. Uh, one of the funnest things is when uh, Big J rolled in here with Jermaine Fowler and David Tell. Make sure you check out. Uh, Comedy Underground with David Tell at 1 a.m. Actually, go in an hour before David Tell Roadwork, Saturday, April 12th, midnight, on Comedy Central. And then also donate to Operation Purple at militaryfamily.org. This is this great organization that Dave uh, Attell has been pushing, and um, he'd like to get them a few extra bucks. Drop some cash. Yeah, drop some cash. It's a good fucking cause. I didn't say it wasn't, Chris. I'm on your side 100% of the way. Yeah. Now, we're in, we're doing this last night, so tell me the breaking news story right now. Breaking news right now, Colin Kaepernick is being investigated for sexual assault. On a guy? On a chick in Miami. I'm stunned. <laughs> Looks like he's straight. I'm Which, stunned. Miami PD is investigating him. The woman woman said she mixed some drinks for all of them and gave them shots, and she was instructed by the men to, quote, hit the bong, which contained marijuana. (laughs) Then she started to feel lightheaded and went to a bedroom to lie down, where I guess some alleged bad shit went down. You know, let me just say this. I'm surprised these kind of charges don't turn out more. Like, just think how many rock bands have toured, and it's a very still rare thing to hear about sexual assault with a famous person. Or even women just throwing out lies to try, just who partied with whoever. I always forget that you blame the victim. I always forget that. <laughs> well, I. <laughs> Insane. It's, they're, they're, women do lie occasionally. 
I'm coming off pretty bad here, aren't I? I'm not saying a word. I'm just letting you dig a hole, and then I'm going to watch you bury yourself in it. No idea you were a men's rights advocate. <laughs> what about us? Why don't we get the kids? I'm sick, of be, I'm sick of being pushed down by women. I think if you leave a woman $65 a week is a little more than she even needs. <laughs> Where could she even spend all that money? They don't like to say this, but 98% of rapes never happen. They're all fake. Everybody says that. Everybody <laughs> in the house go, er. There's also two more players being investigated with him, but their, their names are like way down the story, not in the yeah. headline. Because all they really did was rub his asshole while he was assaulting <laughs> her. Oh my God. So now he I shouldn't even let that out. In case any of you folks be in the jury, if you live in the Miami or San Francisco area, please turn off your radio when I tell you what really happened. You switch stations, you don't have to turn it all the way off. Oh yeah, that's right. I didn't think of that. Weed and Adderall seem to be the fucking favorite drug of everyone in the NFL. That's my nickname for you and, and <laughs> Shelby. <laughs> Which one am I? What do you think? You're fucking Adderall, you little weirdo. I'll take some Adderall too. Think he's I know, more. there's no drug you wouldn't take. I'm just saying. Oh, everyone fucking eats Adderall. It's crazy. Everyone. It's just like, it's Adderall is like the future drug. Causes brain cancer, maybe. I don't know. Oh, God. I say no to drugs. That's my thing. Kaepernick's being investigated for this, but then, right, like, in the past couple of seasons, he started to blow up. All these people are saying, oh, yeah, he's a thug. Look at all his tattoos and everything. Mm. Then everybody just no no he's not that's that's like a stereotype of people like that. I called him a thug last year. I forgot what he did. It. Oh, when he went to uh, North Carolina and acted like he was ripping open the shirt. Yeah, the first it, round of the playoffs. It made me start rooting against him for the first time. I hate that shit. You're yeah. not bigger than the game, my he's son. Throwing it up in Cam Newton's face. That's that was a bust, huh? Mm. That team's gonna go straight to hell. Why Which are you team now? Uh, the. Uh, the Panthers. They've lost every wide receiver, every wide receiver from last season. That, that's just a, it's a joke. Everybody's almost starting fresh every single year. It's fucking definitely insane in the membrane. Kind of doesn't make sense why he would even rip his shirt open because it's not like Cap uh, Newton's on the defense and could have even been the one to stop him. You're mocking out the wrong dude. Yeah, I know. No, he picked him off. He picked him off. You didn't see that part of the game. Kaepernick's He's fucking nice. good. Then he raped his chick. <laughs> <laughs> he was yelling at her the whole time. What are you, Cam Newton? <laughs> this is what I do to you. I'm Superman. Well, I can only say this. I know you think that you know women make this up. Yeah. But I'm seriously hoping it's true. I hope that all these charges are true. Against He'll be him. suspended for two games. <laughs> Picked up a two-game suspension. <laughs> Multiple rapes. <laughs> <laughs> They would do it in a heartbeat, too, if they could get away with it, Chris. Don't you know it. Uh, Mr. Selfridge starts this uh, weekend. These are all up on the filtered excellence from the iBank. Uh, if you guys get into some of this, I'll have somebody to watch these with. And then Fargo, the TV show, starts Tuesday, April 15th. I'm down. Promise me you'll see that one. I promise I'll be watching Fargo on FX. Also, go pick up Dirty Daddy. Uh, by Bob Saget, who was uh, really cool in here the other day.
I hope this Kaepernick thing doesn't turn into like a Darren Sharper situation where there's like eight roofied out rapes that come out of nowhere. Because I mean, this girl, this sound like this girl was roofied. Or at least smoked way too much weed. She just smoked weed and drank. But I mean, Sharper, like, literally just, it was fucking one rape after another. He was roofing everyone. Is that right? Yeah, it was the same exact thing. He would just go to a bar by himself, sub allegedly roofie a chick, say, hey, come back to my hotel room for the after party, and then rape them. Jesus. Yeah, in like three different states. I didn't, kind of, I didn't think that thing actually happened. I almost thought it was urban myth. Every woman's story was exactly the same. It was very odd. You didn't believe one of them, did you? No, they're obviously lying. Darren Sharper's innocent. And then, like, Kaepernick, I mean, if he was trying to rape you, it would be pretty, even more frightening. He's like 6'6", he's like a velociraptor I'm surprised that the cops could even catch him when he scrambled away from him. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's got some incredible foot speed, too. That's nuts. He doesn't even look like he's running hard, and he's fucking flying. He tore apart the Seahawks in the first half of the game they were playing, and then they stopped running the ball. And then what happened, Chris? Then you lost fucking money. <laughs> That's what I do best, is fucking lose cash. You know what? Maybe if you start thinking a little more positive about yourself. I don't know, man. I really, I can't bet shit. You know who you need to fall in love with? Who? That man in the mirror. That's the person you should believe in. I don't like looking at that guy. I want you to make a new friend. And that person's name will be Chris Stanley. That guy's a dick. I need you to take a, a bath in Lake Me. Just spend some time with yourself. I want you to, when you go home today, yeah. to fucking stare in the mirror at yourself. Yeah. Tell yourself you can do it. And fucking stroke off and jizz all up in your own mirror face. Is this gay if I'm coming on myself? I don't think it is. I don't think it is. Sort of like working out, like it's. But you know, what? sexually. What? Well, if you're like flexing in the mirror and at like a, the gym, that's not gay. Mm. It's pretty gay. You're not like getting hard looking at your own mm. muscles. Mm. Mm. I'll just say this. Oh, yeah. Y'all know it's time for some of that gay talk. What's up, faggot? <sighs> What's up, faggot? Uh, that Judah did that, not me. <laughs> um, let's play this game. What's your percentage you think that Fez will be back here on Monday? <laughs> I mean, he hasn't called me. I haven't seen him in a fucking week. I've talked to him. He doesn't care much for you. Um, I'll only say that there's people on his side and people against him here at SiriusXM. But I think his... My thing was he should take a break. Wow. Take a nice break. Not think of it as it's over, but go get some rest time. <sighs> After hearing about that, 0% chance he's in on Monday. Shelby, what about for you? 17%. Might as well say zero. Why? What the fuck is 17? What, what, like, what? 17 points in between. <laughs> no, but what's, what happens if, if something that's 17% likely, it's not going to happen. It just isn't. It's going to happen almost one out of every five times. <laughs> now, let's suppose this. <laughs> what, if you got on a plane, would you like to know there was a 0% 
a, a sense of crashing? Yeah. Or 17%? What would you feel better with? 17%. If I heard there was a 17% chance of crashing when I got on a plane, I'd be spinning back out of that fucker. It's got to be around there, 17%. Way. It's way closer to zero. I feel like there's a bunch of like just missed crashes. I feel like Oh yeah, there is that. Right? Yeah. But, you know, that's not the same as crashing. <laughs> now, did you see how deep if they did come across the box, how deep it would be in the ocean? Yeah, it's it's funny. it's like in the, a trench or something. Like it's, it's like 3 miles deep. Yeah, it's horrible. There's no sense of it. I think at most they're going to say on the James Cameron underwater drone in. Yeah, why bother? Just let them. Just, you know, Davy Jones's locker is where these people are. I would probably just put a fucking life preserver out with a, you know, like a cemetery plaque. <laughs> and hopefully it won't fucking float too far away. Drop a bunch of tombstones in there like <laughs> numb. <laughs> like they're dropping all those bombs when they fall at the back. See you in a watery hell. It's kind of just doesn't make any sense. I think it does. I think living in fucking three miles under the ocean would be tough as a hell. I mean, your fucking head would explode from the pressure alone. What would be your worst version of hell? Oh, God. I think if like you live like in some sort of like cockroach bug. Room. Bug world. Yeah, bug world. Bug yeah. world for you. Shelby? Maybe living in Phoenix. Okay. It's pretty hot there. Forgot he's always jokey. What a dick, huh? Mine would be this fucking studio oh. looking across the dam. That would be hell for me. Good. Uh, how can I think of a joke? Good. I want everyone to know that Ron's referencing Shelby and not me. Well, I mean both of them. Oh, shit. I don't know. Maybe if I was on fire all the time, that would be pretty Sometimes bad. I feel like you push Shelby out of your womb right on me. <laughs> I don't have a womb. I'm sorry, I didn't know, Chris. No, it's a good thing. I'm a dude. Is that why you slept on the couch for so long? You didn't have your own womb? <laughs> <laughs> Missed that couch. Oh, you finally got rid of it? Yeah. You got a nice bet for yourself? I did. I went on one of the many bed sales that are happening every <laughs> single fucking holiday. The, who, buy, who would buy a f fucking bed not during a holiday? There's like there's that Once every month, you have a chance of getting a bed sale. I didn't know you never gave us the update that you finally got around to getting to bed. <laughs> yeah, I did. Went to a Sleepies in Queens across the street from a prison. I, uh. <laughs> it fucking was actually kind of weirding me out. Yeah, it was old prison fucking beds. There's <laughs> blood on it. 20% off. I'll take it. Sure. For you, there's no difference between 20% off and 0% off. It's the same thing. See how I fucking caught you? You lying prick. <laughs> You ran that thing at 17 up to 20, so that sounds pretty good. Hey, you know what we never even talked about before? Fez came nowhere near the first page and has made zero chance to get it. The game that we were supposed to go to, the Magic game, was yeah. two nights ago. Oh, cocksucker. Yeah. He's got to make this up to us, even if he doesn't come back. Oh, yeah, that's right. He still owes... He still owes. It's but, a, that's a ten thousand dollar bet he made. But here's the thing: if he doesn't come back, I think the show is going to be better. I think the only way that this show will fail is if Fez comes back. 
I mean, if he doesn't come back, that's going to be a big, like, I think like, a shot of energy. Like, there's yeah, always change. Yeah, be a boost for us all. Well, there's change going on. This would be as great as if he died. <laughs> you think it would be better if he died? Because then, you know, it's like Fez is dead. Fez is dead. Yeah, but then everybody will feel sorry for us. And, you know, people will be sending us casseroles and stuff. They'll be like, you okay? And we'll be like, not really. We feel kind of bad about Fez dying. <laughs> Do you have any chili that maybe you could come over and cook for us? You send some, <laughs> send some herb, huh? You haven't gotten any herb in a while, have you? No, but I will give a shout out to the 1LB Club on YouTube. The 1LB Club has some great, fun YouTube videos. Why? What happens there? Uh, the, the, the 1LB Club on YouTube, they have animations. They have like a Weed Fellas little sketch. And then they also a sketch? A sketch animated. And they'll also review weed, too. I'm just saying the 1LB Club on YouTube. Now, how how were they able to do that, Chris? By well, they they've they no like they're in one of the legal places. Exactly, yeah. They're they're in the legal they're in a legal state, so they can get away with. Look at those fucking buds. Those are some nice nugs in the 1LB Club on YouTube. I mean, else, though, because the crystals are unreal, the smell is unreal. I don't know how close I can get once I crack it open. We'll get really close. I understand. This actually makes right, me want to smoke pot. I don't like to get high at all, but looking at marijuana in that state, it's a very, uh, it's a very pleasant thing. Some delicious nuggets. Yeah, it does. It looks fantastic. And I've always liked to taste the marijuana. Oh, it tastes great. I never was a big fan of the high. I'd rather go, you know, chemicals. But I always love the taste of it. Well, this weed these days is so nuts that you could just pick that nugget up right there. It's called Disneyland. Yeah, just pick it up, bite it, and it would taste good. It would be it would be a nice it would be something nice to do. Well, could you make a weed salad? Yeah, you could make a weed salad. I mean, I'm watching this on the One LB Club right now on YouTube, and it just fucking it looks great to me. Like I said, this weed isn't as a knockout as a Mike Tyson. Have <laughs> a Mike Tyson. No, he's talking about the real Mike Tyson. It'll knock you out, but not the way Mike Tyson will knock you out. Uh, knock down a good uh, let way. Let me see some more of this weed on the 1LB Club. The 1LB Club, yeah. Where's this at, YouTube? This is on YouTube, yeah. The number one LB Club on YouTube. And what do they want to be, like a cooking show for weed? Yeah, they want to be like, you know, like, look, look, fucking, weed's going to get legal sooner rather than later. It is legal. And then people, I mean, all, all, all across the land. And they're going to need people reviewing buds. You go to 1LB Club. <laughs> All right? Now, I remember when I was young, I read High Times, and we f fucking thought that it was going to happen, and then finally I'm like, they'll never make weed fucking legal. And now that they are, I'm like, holy shit, I should have stuck with those High Time motherfuckers back in the day. <laughs> and I remember High Times back when they wouldn't just show you weed, they'd show you fucking Coke. There. Oh, they'd man. they like Coke centerfolds. Some, uh, someone I saw this online. Someone posted a, uh, an ad from High Times from back in the day of like a cocaine snorting kit. It was like it was a fucking ad in the magazine for like an act like a mirrors. Those bullets, right? They bullets. Would, yeah, I forgot about those things. Here's what you would do. I forgot fucking completely about them. So you would take this thing and you would kind of prepack it, and then when you were fucking like you were going to a concert or drive down the road. You just open it, take a shot out of the bullet, and put it out. But it was like a, like a little nostril thing, like yeah. that for a head cold. And it's, it, this was just in the magazine, just like, hey, everyone's getting coked up, right? Get some. F <laughs> I fucking completely forgot about those things. 
Oh, Chris, this memory lane thing <laughs> that you have going on with the 1LB Club is fantastic. I know. It's all, it's all thanks to the 1LB Club on YouTube. <laughs> Just saying, it's a favorite YouTube channel of mine. If you had to give up marijuana or alcohol, what would you give up? Oh. I'm surprised it's this hard for you. <laughs> I think I'd give up, I have to give up alcohol. Wow, I'm shocked that, you've changed. Smoke that weed. I was going to go, I thought you were going to say weed. Yeah, I thought I thought you always had to have alcohol. Just so more readily available. Yeah. Well, let's face it, it's still socially more acceptable. We can't go over and buy a fucking six-pack of weed anymore. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right, yeah. Well, Mrs. Stanley, I got to shut this one down. We need to plug anything at all? I think we're good to go. Every, everyone should uh, buy today. Everyone should get the, uh, should be uh, hit for their tickets for the Open Anthony Unmasked. Oh yeah! Uh, make sure you head on over to the iBang just to check in. If you didn't get tickets from SiriusXM, head on over to the iBang. That's a good idea. That's a real good idea. And check out Dave Clark's the uh, Dave Clark Dave Clark Five documentary tonight on PBS. Shelby, you gonna be watching it? Absolutely. What are you doing this weekend, Shelbster? Sleeping. Are you really not even trying to date a girl? Nah. Get it in somewhere. It feels good. You want me to try? It? I think he got his heart broken. You want some Viagra? I'm good. I ain't got All some. good in that field. What are you batching to these days? Whatever I can get my hands on. Well, that's not an answer, okay? That's an avoidance. JC Penny catalogs. Uh, that's just joking. So who's a joker, isn't he? Just show me what's the last thing you masturbated to. Just show it to me on you, Jizz. <laughs> I don't have it saved here. Go ahead. Just look it up and pick it up. Was it somebody we know? Like a famous yeah. girl? No. Was it someone that works here? Boy on boy porn? That was it. <laughs> then show it to me. Then show me the boy on boy porn that you were fucking watching and masturbating to. <laughs> this weekend, check out David Tell's one hour special, uh, David Tell Road Work. It's Saturday, April 12th at midnight on Comedy Central, followed by the series Comedy Underground with David Tell. That's got our good buddy Big Jay Okerson in it. He, crushes. he closes the show out. He crushes it. But so many funny comics are on that, including uh, DeRosa, who <laughs> I didn't even know that, that he was writing for Pete Holmes now. I didn't know that either. He does the that weird Seinfeld puppet, like the modern kind of Seinfeld puppet. And I think it's called New Joke Seinfeld. It looks like a, you know, like a ham puppet, and he's like the voice behind it. I didn't know that. Send those to me. I love DeRosa. Also, uh, go to donate Operation to Operation Purple at militaryfamily.com. Uh, .org. .org. All right, gang. We out. Take care, everybody. A little special show we put for you today. Hope you appreciate it. One way or another, on Monday, we will... Have some information on Fez Watley. 
In the meantime, I hope this bit of information holds you over. And that's the end of my show. Donk. On Raw Dog. Serious.